Welcome to the Melanated Way. I'm your host, Linda Entwee. We are doing an exclusive. We want to debunk the myth, talk about this latest sentencing with Jeffrey Pichel. And we have, uh, we've talked to Shelby before, uh, Shelby Bart, before she has an inside look into the situation. Um, what I do want to say, I know that this is a hot button topic. I know that a lot of people have different points of view. But what I want to ask you guys is to keep an open mind. And let's talk about everything that we have questions about. And we will be able to fill in the gaps. That being said, I want to welcome Shelby Bart to our live stream. Hi, Shelby. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Um, you guys, thank you so much for watching on YouTube, wherever you're watching. I'll get this all this stuff out of the way first and foremost wherever you're watching on youtube uh thank you patty for the super chat super chat super stickers are available it helps make this all these shows possible so i appreciate that i appreciate the support uh the other thing that i want to uh pop up real quick is this is a hot topic and the melanated way will always stand by victims and if you're in need uh, please go to thehotline.org and I will pop that up throughout this stream. That being said, Shelby. Hi. I want to talk a little bit about your history um, with Jeffrey and why kind of you have an insider view to this whole situation. So a lot of people don't know who you are. So for those people that don't know who you are, let's talk about it. Okay. Um. Hi, Tammy. Um, but I dated Jeffrey um, during uh, March of 2020 until like January 2021. So basically while his season was airing and uh, after and prior to this trial. Yeah. So the last time we talked to you, you literally rocked our channel because we had <laughs> no idea. So I had been following a little bit about who you were, but I had no idea that in the midst of Allison and Kristen, here's Shelby. And you changed your life and your livelihood to be with this person that you met and you thought was going to be in your future. So I wanted everyone to really kind of know that part of things. Yeah. That's and if you don't, if you follow Jeffrey, I mean, people probably recognize my name. One, I was a... a Die hard defender of him in the beginning. And then I also, he also has a live on his Instagram right now, solely dedicated to me. So, what's the live about? Telling everyone that he has no clue who I am. He's never met me. I'm his stalker, you know, that I, that I'm stalking him, that, uh, yeah, like he has no clue who I am. Never met me, nothing of that because, you know, he couldn't have that narrative going around that he was dating me while he was dating Vario, while he was 
everything else. Right, but we've we've found so far, just watching this whole thing play out, that that's kind of has been has been his stilo, right? So he has multiple women at multiple times, and for some reason, I find, and I don't know if this is to be true, but just my personal opinion that a lot of you guys don't know about each other, and when you find out about each other, you're like, wait, what? Like I. I thought I was engaged to this person. I thought I was dating this person. I thought I was in a long-term relationship with this person. And all of that is not true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had moved to the state, you know. Girl, uh, when you told us that, like, I'm still not over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, still, over it. I'm still not over it. And it's been a year. Um, I'm still not but- over it. So for those of you guys that don't know, and I can't remember, what's your original state, Shelby? Maryland. Maryland. So she moved from Maryland to Tennessee to be closer to Jeffrey uh, pre this trial, pre the sentencing, all of that stuff. And again, if you, I'll pop the link in um, the show below, but we were shook. We had no idea that that's what you did. Yes, Vanessa says, Shelby dropped a bomb on us. She sure did last time. I thought, I I swear, I thought you knew. I had like no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. So let's go from the very beginning. So what I thought I would do is start with this little um, post. So as we all know, uh, the other day, Jeffrey had a sentencing hearing. Varya has been a very strong supporter from day one of Jeffrey, her relationship with Jeffrey. Um, I do want to dispel some of the myths, Shelby. Okay. So is it, what's her status with Jeffrey? Is she engaged to him? Is she married to him? What are your thoughts on that? So I can definitively say that they are not married. They Mm -hmm. legally can't be. He is still married to his third wife, uh, Brittany. So there's no way they could legally be married. I mean, they could, he could have committed bigamy. And I mean, if that's the case, then rock on, that's another charge, but uh, there's no way they legally could be. Now, did they have some sort of like a ceremony, maybe when they were in Vegas or somewhere? Sure. But there's no, um, there's no legal marriage No. So they may be engaged still. I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. About well, that. my understanding is that uh, pre his first the trial itself, that he was traveling around the U.S. with her. They did end up in Vegas. They did end up uh, doing a ceremony and getting married. So it's important to to recognize the fact that he's still legally married to Brittany, and wherever that lands, that's where the confusion is. Mm-hmm. Now, she went ahead and posted this to her story saying they don't allow him to wear a suit. Let the circus begin. And prior to that, she had uh, reels that she did. And a lot of times people don't understand that uh, for influencers and creatives on Instagram specifically, they are promoting reels. And so if you have an X amount of followers, they're saying, hey, listen, we want you to do reels in line with TikTok and we'll pay you. So anytime someone watches that reel, that creative influencer, uh, blue checkmark person is getting paid. So she went ahead and did this whole uh, video reel where she was picking out an outfit for Jeffrey to wear the suit 
that she wanted to, him to wear for his sentencing hearing. And lo and behold, that wasn't allowed. So that's what this picture is about, where they said, where she said, they don't allow him to wear a suit. Let the circus begin. Do you want to speak on that a, a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, last time I was a little hesitant to say certain stuff because it just wasn't over. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't follow her. I have her blocked on everything and I'm sure if I didn't, she would have me blocked. But, um, someone sent me the reel of her picking out the outfit and, you know, my immediate reaction, I wasn't shocked. You know what I mean? Because if you look back at all of her reels dating from when he was convicted until now, um, cause I believe she got monetized in that in between time. She likes to, um, she likes the shock value. She, she's, she's not dumb. She's smart. You know, like if a reel doesn't do well, the next one will be involving Jeffrey involving chasm, his son who passed away, uh, really just tasteful things for her to monetize, but, uh, it's all calculated. So when, there was the reel about her picking out the outfit for him. Totally uh, tone deaf, all of that. But like, that's par for the course for her. So, um, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of parts to that reel that if you really wanted to go deep into it, you could, you could say certain things mean certain things like the the socks from Canada. I, 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 I'm of the belief that one of Jeffrey's like, you know, diehard uh, women that follow him, who's from Canada and always sends him stuff, sent him those socks. I'd have to think that, but, and I didn't even think of this. People DM'd me thinking this, that it was a jab at Brittany who is, who fleed from the U S to Canada with her two young sons to get away from Jeffrey. So even if that wasn't what she intended with it, that's how thoughtless she is. She doesn't think about anything, but yet she wants to like, uh, you know, uh, memorialize this child. So let's talk about this a little bit, because I think that a lot of people may or may not understand this. So is it true that Jeffrey has seven children with four different women um, and that uh, the mother of the child who passed away, Chasm, is the one that indeed fled to Canada. Is that correct? So I know about more kids than seven. Um, I think at this point, seven is like what he has. I think he like publicly claimed five. Uh, and then as time went on, like if I know about 12, give or take. 12 kids with four different women? more than four women. Uh, I at least know about six. 12 kids with six women. Yes. And that has been, that's been told to me. That's been confirmed by multiple people in his life that would know. Uh, Yeah. So I was shocked when the judge said seven, but also not shocked because like he said, that's the image that Jeffrey has put out to everybody or did. Right. Now, and and I'm kind of going up, off our kind of topic a little bit, but I I do want to talk about the children a little bit more. So it's my understanding because I did have a couple of people that were at the courthouse uh, the other day for the sentencing hearing. And my understanding that um, he had like 40 different character references that the judge 
refer to. And he said, I, I understand that these character references are here. Um, and, you know, I, I'm putting them into the court record. However, he wasn't going to go down and read all 40 of them. But I was told that some of his ex-wives were supporting him. Do you know that to be true? No, no, that is not true at all. Not one ex-wife supported him. Okay. Uh, his mistress of 20 years supported him. Who's the and, mistress of 20 years? Uh, see, I don't want to be the jerk here because I have no clue if those children know the nature of their okay. mother's relationship with him. And one of them is far old enough to see this and whatever. But um, she was in the front row. So, okay. I mean, if you know who all the other players are, yeah, and one is mom, so um, you could probably deduce who that is. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into the, some of the different myths, uh, some of the comments uh, that both you and I have been dealing with since we were covering this trial. Uh, I've popped on the screen, 90 Day Fiance Star uh, Faces Sentencing. What I will say uh, before we move on, and I'm going to pop this banner on, is that all of this information, a lot of it is from courttv.com, and I'm sharing it under the Freedom of Information Act. So here we see Jeffrey's lawyer <clears throat> and Jeffrey in the courtroom on sentencing day. And uh, the lawyer had a lot to say. Mm. Um, Shelby, what were your thoughts on Jeffrey's lawyer? I mean, I had a bad taste in my mouth from the trial, but during sentencing, <clears throat> the thing that I picked up on as a uh, you know, survivor of domestic violence myself is that he was heavily, heavily triggered by Kristen and Allison and very triggered by them not letting him bowl them over, mm -hmm. you know, he kept getting angrier and angrier so much so that the state you know, objected and said he's badgering and the judge, you know what I mean? Like he full on was completely inappropriate badgering, especially Allison. Very, very, I mean, I get he's doing his job, but right. like, that's not doing your job. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're not allowed to badger the witness. Yes. So my feeling that I got from him and I do not know this, I have no proof of this, but the gut feeling that I got was that I mean, he seems like an abusive man to me to get so uh, triggered by these women. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's how I felt. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, but yeah, no, I, and I, he's the top criminal defense attorney in Tennessee. Like oh. he's the guy that everybody goes for and how that, I thought he was terrible. You know what I mean? Like I, truthfully, I thought he was awful. And, but at the same time he had, everything stacked against him. So I guess he, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, I thought he was bad. What did you think? Um, I definitely felt that this was an attorney that uh, wanted to grab the headlines. I think that he um, enjoyed speak, hearing himself speak. Mm -hmm. I think that he was trying to give a rigorous defense, but like he said, he had a lot of things. Jeffrey's uh, felony convictions um, in history behind him. So he was trying to do, in my opinion, the best that he can do given the circumstances and situation he's dealt with. 
-hmm. I think the other thing that is important to remember as we talk about this later is this is not Jeffrey's first rodeo in the criminal justice system. Um, and a felony is a felony is a felony, in my opinion. And a lot of the comments, a lot of the DMs that I've been getting is that, oh, DV is different than drug charges, et cetera, et cetera. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think back in the 80s, um, the U.S. criminal justice system had the three strike system. And it didn't matter what your third strike was. You could steal a candy bar from a corner store. That was your third strike. If your first strike was, I don't know, and I'm, I'm pulling this out of, out of the air, but if your first strike, strike was like felony robbery, your second strike was like home invasion, your third strike is you stole this, this chocolate bar from the corner store, guess what? That's your third strike and that's done because you're a habitual offender. And I think that that's what the judge took into consideration. I think that that's what um, his attorney had to deal with when we were talking about enhanced sentencing. Mm -hmm. And I think that worldwide, a lot of people don't understand the U.S. criminal justice system when it, in regards to enhanced sentencing and hence the reason why he got 18 years uh for this now in my opinion domestic violence like i said the melanated way will always stand with victims domestic violence is something that you know tends to be swept under the rug but it's a very serious issue and you never know what's happening behind closed doors and we always want to protect the victims period that being said i wanted to go ahead and talk about a little bit about the courtroom setup. So here we mm -hmm. see Kristen Jeffrey literally turning his body away from what the judge was talking about. We see Varia in the front row. She's in pink and like a red or pink mask. The whole time from what I watched, and I watched from the beginning to end, she did not take her eyes off of Jeffrey. In the front row, you also see Mary, and you see, like, the neighbor or whatever. You see one of his children in the front row. You see his mom in the front row. And, um, you know, I do also want to mention, because we, we did bring it up, that the white bag you see that's draped over that, what is it, like the fence thing it's not a fence but the wood thing yeah, that's the, the suit that Mario yeah. brought to court thinking that Jeffrey would be able to change out of his prison stripes right yeah. and so that was the big deal she was making and again I guys you guys I really do want you to as we go through this interview I really do want you to put everything into perspective so here we have this woman who is in a relationship with Jeffrey who thinks that A, it's okay to make reels, monetize on those reels and say, hey, listen, I'm picking out uh, this outfit for Jeffrey on a very serious fel felony crime. Um, and in her mind, in my opinion, right? So I don't know if it's true or not, but it's my opinion that she thought that this was not going to be anything. The sentencing was not going to be anything, Shelby, and that they would be able to switch the narrative. So now all of a sudden, because he's in a suit that she brought, that she picked out and she spent the night picking out, that that would change the trajectory of what was going on at sentencing. So that's why I thought that this 
this photo for you guys to see was important. Um, <clears throat> and we see it again here. We see where Jeffrey again is turned away. Uh, his lawyer has stepped out for a minute. We see the prosecutor here and we see all the major players in, in the courtroom. Now, Court TV, which is where I'm getting all, a lot of this information. And again, I want to go ahead and uh, credit Court TV under the Freedom of Information Act. But Court TV went ahead and said on their UTP, Court Insider, the evidence phase of the hearing is closed. The state rested and the defense offers no proof. Which, Chris, Shelby, this is a big deal, right? So the, when, when Court TV is saying that the state has rested, right? So the state of Tennessee is rested and Jeffrey's defense, the lawyer that we are now talking about offered no proof. What are your thoughts on that? I was a little confused at that point because we had already heard that there were some 40 letters of support yeah. for Jeffrey's side. And that would have been the time to introduce those. Yeah. You know, so I was a little confused at that point. I wasn't sure what was happening with that? Like if the judge said he didn't want to hear like what it was, but then I later learned as you did in the closing that he, that, that his attorney's slick. He's slick because he didn't introduce them here at this point, the evidence phase, because then they would have been subjected, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong to the same thing that Allison and Kristen were, which was cross-examination, um, all of that. So there's 40 letters from people that I can, guarantee you maybe a handful of them actually have met Jeffrey in person, know Jeffrey and know him longer than his time on the show. Mm. The other 35 are Instagram friends. Probably at least six or seven of them are Jeffrey's women as we call them. Um, and like the, the state representative from Florida that said he was, you know, a, a nice, kind guy. Mm -hmm. That's his mom's doing. That was his mom's friend. I can promise you that she asked him to write a letter because his mother asked everybody to write letters on his behalf. So where you may have heard that the ex-wives wrote in letters of support. Yeah. 100% false. But did his mother have the audacity to ask these women to write a letter of support for him? 100%. Wow. Well, so here we see uh, on the screenshot that the judge has requested a recess to review the attorney's arguments and the law in reference to whether Pachelle's prior felonies qualify as an enhancer. So let's talk about that a little bit. So you guys, what I think a lot of people don't understand and what I know that you and I, Shelby, have gotten a ton of DMs and comments on our posts about on Instagram is the fact that the criminal justice system in the United States, specifically Tennessee, has an enhancer, quote unquote, policy. And what that means is, for example, if I got in trouble with the criminal justice system as a first time offender, I would be a first time offender and my sentencing would be more lenient than someone who has multiple offenses and convictions. Now, there's also a difference between a misdemeanor and a felony. And a federal charge. And a federal charge, yes. If you have a felony in the state of Tennessee, OK, 
okay, and you have multiple felonies, when the judge is considering your sentence, if it is deemed relevant, then your prior felonies can be considered in the current charge. So what does that mean? It means that Jeffrey Pichel was not brand new to the criminal justice system. Jeffrey had multiple felony convictions. And again, I want to stress the fact that a felony is a felony is a felony. They don't care in the criminal justice system what that felony looks like. It's a felony. So the prosecutor presented his previous felonies. Now, his felonies in the past have been drug convictions. Shelby, is that true? Uh, yes. So it's been drug convictions, trafficking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that being said, he has been deemed, and in this situation specifically, a multiple offender. And that is why when he was convicted... Uh, during the sentencing hearing, that the judge had the leniency to talk about 12 to 20 years and that he got on the harsher end of the 20 years, which is 18-year conviction, with no possibility of parole, which means he has to serve 100% of his time. That is why. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that. And so do you want to speak on that a little bit before we move forward? Absolutely. I mean, this is probably the number one thing that I'm seeing in not only your comments, my comments. I mean, go to E! News and touch any of those any of those pages that are covering this. And the comments are, you know, the judge threw the book at him, way harsh of a sentence. Yeah. Um, murderers get less than that. Uh, rapists get less than that. Whatever it is. And I think a lot of like frustration and anger is misplaced in this situation because number one, we don't see this happen in the justice system often. We don't ever, we don't really see a victim stand up and they get carried through and carried out and uh, justice be served. So right there, that's like out of the norm. But um, what people aren't understanding is that Europe or other countries, judicial systems compared to ours are very different. Like over in Europe, in some countries, uh, domestic violence is less than a year or like a, like a, um, a light sentence. They also have a whole different uh, take and all that kind of stuff on domestic violence. I know in Russia, it just became like we talked about last time, it just became a crime two years ago. So, um, but in America, and I don't know how the way the justice system works in Europe as far as like uh, accumulating crimes and a record. But in America, like you said, if you have a record, you're, you're sentenced based on your current crime, but your record comes into play because and I, what I don't think people realize is that this sentence is not just a form of punishment, if you would, for Jeffrey. It's also a way to keep society safe from this habitual criminal, uh, career criminal, abusive criminal, because he has been arrested and charged with assault, domestic violence, and all of that in the past. This is a way to keep him from reoffending, and that's why the judge also mentioned that due to the um, 
the evaluation that he had in the jail, which was performed by a non-biased psychiatrist, I would imagine, Jeffrey was deemed as a moderate risk to offend again. And there's low, moderate, and high. So he's right in the middle. And as having high needs when it comes to his mental health. So all of that comes into play here. So maybe if he was a first-time offender, you know, this was his first offense and all of that, yeah, 18 years would be super harsh. And they even said it in the courtroom, if he was not a habitual offender or a range two offender, as they call them in Tennessee, the range would have been eight to 12 years for all of these charges. It was 12 to 20 because he has a long rap sheet. He's been doing this that we know of with uh, unsealed records because juvenile records were sealed from 30 years now. Yeah, I do want, and I do want to touch upon that Shelby's because you know, um, my background is criminology, political science. Uh, I originally wanted to be an investigative reporter. And what I want people to understand is that um, I think back to my first year criminology 101 class and my professor talking about how when habitual offenders get, get finally caught, they get caught on whatever their current crime is. But you have to think about all the times they didn't get caught, right? Exactly. So again, I want our viewers to understand, uh, I want the 90 Day Fiancé community to understand that what is presented in front of you is not necessarily what's happening behind closed doors. You don't know the day-to-day to the day-to-day to the day-to-day of this specific person. Mm-hmm. And for multiple people, to come out and say, I'm a victim of this person, for this person to have multiple felonies, right? So that means you've been through the criminal justice system, a jury of your peers have said, yes, indeed, you are guilty. And this person has spent time behind bars before. You can't then now say, because you've seen him on TV, you've seen him on a reality show and you perhaps love his personality, he might be attractive to you, he might be charming to you, all of the things that he's indeed not guilty of his current convictions. So I need everyone to put everything in perspective and to see his criminal history in its totality, because that's what we're talking about. So when we're talking about the 18 years, we're talking about the severity of of this offense, it needs to be looked at in its totality and not specifically just like, oh, hey, oh, my God, because he's a reality star, they threw the book at him. Oh, because he's a reality star, they're trying to make an example of him. No, that's not what judges do. Okay, They're not going to be like, oh, hey, I watch 90 Day Fiance and I want to make an example of him. No, The judge, and this judge specifically that you see on your screen, was looking at the totality of Jeffrey's previous felony convictions. He ruled that because Jeffrey had previous felony convictions, he is deemed a repeat habitual offender. And like you said, Shelby, in Tennessee, it's considered a Schedule Two offender, and therefore he was able to come to his decision based on the off of that 
information. I wanted to talk to you, uh, Shelby, about uh, Tanya's comment right here that I've popped on the screen. She said, I'm sure he was warned about this before he refused the plea offer. Do you remember the plea offer? Because I vaguely remember it. And I remember him doing a live on Instagram and basically saying he was not going to plead guilty, even though if he pled guilty, and correct me if I'm wrong, he would have been sentenced and been guilty, but only have served one year or have been on probation for one year. Any talk on that? Uh, so when this first happened and he was arrested, he, I don't, I don't know what the original charges were, but they were much less. It may have even been a misdemeanor, uh, simple assault or something like that. I'm not positive, but at that time they offered him, uh, no jail time just to have it on his record. And he would walk out the door if he pled guilty and he said, absolutely not. That's actually, I think, verbatim what he says on the Don Maddie interview. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm guilty for something that I didn't do. Take me to the grand jury. And he goes to the grand jury and the grand jury says, yeah, you're right. We're not going to hold those charges because you did something way worse. We're going to charge you with aggravated kidnapping, domestic assault, interference with a 911 call and vandalism. So and then after that, he was offered another plea deal. Uh, I want to say in the fall of 2020, um, he was offered it's like something like four years of probation uh, with like intensive therapy, I think the entire time and other, you know, obviously uh, stipulations. And he said no to that as well. And I was dating him at that time and he was appalled at the, uh, the intensive therapy for the entire time. So can we talk about that a little bit? So when you started dating him and you were hearing all these things, Shelby, what did, were you on his side? Did you not believe that these things were happening? Speak on that, please. Uh, so when we met, I didn't, I didn't really know anything about him. And when I first messaged him, other than I'd seen the second episode of the show, um, I'm pretty embarrassed by this uh, and ashamed, but at the same time, he's, He's good. I mean, like I found out about the assault very quickly after, and I said this before uh, on my page and other interviews is that for the year and a half that he was allowed to be out in the freak world out on bond, we only had his story to go off of and this police report and the police report does not do any justice to Kristen's injuries whatsoever. It basically says she displayed symptoms of a concussion, which could mean a million different things. And um, yeah, I, even being a survivor of domestic violence myself, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know that I necessarily believed or didn't believe him, but like I was hook, line and sinker, just gone within like minutes, just. And I do want to circle back to that because I think that the judge touched upon that when he was, was speaking of the sentencing and how Jeffrey's charismatic, he's good looking, he. Mm-hmm. Um, is able to convince people about his way. So I do want to circle back on that, mm-hmm. Shelby. I'm yes. going to answer a question from Auntie's Advice Channel for Women. She's asking you, is this the lady that was on here before? Yes, it is. Um, she said she was going to show up in court. Did she? Did she write an impact letter? Do you want to speak on that? Sure. So I was set, all ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. Everything done and set and my debit card was stolen the day before 
I was set to go. Now everyone's like, well, why wouldn't you still go? Um, Because we had everything set for December. And then when it got changed, for some reason, the price to fly, Knoxville's a very tiny airport, to fly into Knoxville for this weekend was like some $350 more than the previous trip. So I was planning on flying into Nashville, renting a car and driving over. And when my debit card was, and I don't have another card. And if you don't know the rental car laws in America, look them up because I'm so tired of going over this. But um, you can't rent a car without a major debit card or credit card in your name. So um, I would have been stranded in Nashville without a way to get over. So I was going to drive. I was like getting ready to hop in my car and drive the 12 hours. And a lot of people uh, talked to me, followers, friends, and all of them. And were like, can't do that. You know what I mean? Like you just can't like do it to myself. Cause I would have been driving up 12 staying for like the trial and then driving back. Um, so yeah, so no, I didn't go. Um, I have an airline credit because some people donated to have me go. I have an airline credit. So, um, as you saw, Kristen is pregnant, uh, any day, well, any week now. Um, so I'm going to go up there after she has the baby and when it's a little bit warmer, and see her because we still have not had a chance to um, see each other in person. And um, and as far as the lodging goes, uh, Sabrina, Jeffrey's first wife, uh, we were set to stay together in the Airbnb that I rented, but she uh, she stayed there so that she was able to go to the trial because she would not have been able to go because she's from Kentucky. So that was put to good use. So I'm sorry, how many ex-wives does Jeffrey have? He has two ex-wives and one current wife. Okay, so Sabrina and who else? Sabrina, uh, Allison, who testified. Are his ex-wives. Yes, Sabrina and Allison are his ex-wives. Brittany is his current wife. Brittany is his current wife. And then um, he had a bunch of fiancés. Uh, so him, he and Kristen, and I mean, we're dating for a couple of years and wound up engaged. Um, I'm Varia, not, yeah, Varia. I mean, who knows with that whole thing? I, really, honestly, I really don't know like what's real with that and what's not. To be like totally blunt with you, uh, I know that when I was at his house and uh, he he had like a ring stand, whatever those things are, and there were about three or four fake uh, engagement rings on and wedding bands on the ring thing. And in conversing and comparing notes with some of his exes, uh, he, that that's like a thing, you know what I mean? But he had like a bunch of them. I believe one of them was the one from Russia uh, with Varya. So. <laughs> so I just, I mean, I just want to wrap my mind around it. So two ex-wives, one current wife that he, Brittany, who he's not um, divorced from, and then possibly three fiancés, and then a bunch of girlfriends sprinkled in, in between. Would that be accurate? Uh, yeah, there's been one girlfriend affair, whatever it is, for uh, the last 20 years at least. So she has been a consistent through Sabrina, Allison, Brittany, Kristen, and so on. Okay, uh, I want to address some of the questions uh, in the live chat before we move forward. Patty says, "I work as an abuse neglect. I work at an abuse neglect hotline, and the big difference is the ability to manipulate someone in a relationship with him versus people 
who have no previous relationship worlds apart. I don't know that I understand what she's... So I think she's saying that uh, Jeffrey's able to manipulate people in his relationships, which I think is what the judge was saying. Um, And that versus someone who has never been in a domestic abuse, domestic violence relationship, he's able to manipulate that situation. I think that that's what she's saying. Um, And then Vanessa's saying, is Mary still in the mix? I know she was in a picture with Varya. Do you want to speak on Mary a little bit? Because I do want, I don't want to talk about the court stuff yet because I'm going to get to that. Mm -hmm. But what is her status? Is it that they're just good friends and she loves him as one of her best friends? Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think like how to do this PC. Um, I don't really, I don't know what to call their friendship, relationship, whatever it is. Um, It's sexual. It's. uh, Wait, what? Oh, you know, I don't really care. Wait, what? I don't, I'm confused because Shelby, it's sexual, but Varya and Mary are friends. And Varya and Mary, I remember, I mean, not too long ago, did like a reel where it was, I can't remember, but there's like some 70s shows where there are two girls before my time I wasn't born yet, but like two girls, I don't know. You know what show I'm talking about? Someone in the uh, chat, tell me. Yeah, but it, was, it had that whole, you know. Like, oh, Laverne and Shirley. It was getting oh. Laverne and Shirley-ish, right? They were dancing yes. and yes. the whole thing. And I was like, wait, what are they friends now? Right? And one of my sources have said that they had always been friends and that the drama was specifically only for 90 Day Fiance. And that's why they were able to come together when Jeffrey started having these, you know, criminal justice issues. So now you're saying that they had a sexual relationship, but so is he having a sexual relationship with Varya and Mary at the same time? I mean... I don't know after uh, we broke up what happened uh, and she moved to America. I don't know. Uh, But I know that when she was still living in Russia and I was dating him, which was, this was in the fall of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, And she, this was in October, sorry, of 2020. And she moved here in December of 2020. So it was already in the work. So yes, they were together. Um, And this was really triggering for me when watching the trial because when Allison spoke about him going to Florida and breaking in the back of her parents' house and then sexually assaulting her, uh, I I guess I had like blocked out some stuff um, and it was not blocked out anymore. And he and Mary, to me, um, sexually assaulted me when I was there. So, and then they had sex with each other next to me. So, yeah. I'm sorry that that has, was your experience. Uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, I know that the, that had to have been not easy for you to share. And I know that the last time we spoke, there was a lot that you couldn't say. So I appreciate your transparency. And I appreciate you sharing the intricacies of, you know, a toxic relationship. So I'm sorry that that happened to you. And 
working through that trauma cannot be easy. Um, yeah, Tammy says, so sorry, Shelby. Uh, I do want to take it back to the beginning, Shelby, and I want to see what your reaction to this is. Home in 2019. Paschal took the witness stand at his trial and downplayed their confrontation. But the incident occurred at the house based on her jealousy. Ever since then, it's morphed and it's made its own way to different things. Before he made news as a defendant, he was featured on the show 90 Day Fiance before the 90 days, where fans once tuned in to follow the budding romance between Paschal and his Russian girlfriend, Varya Molina. I don't want to die. Paschal's popularity plummeted once fans learned of the charges, and he was probably dropped from the season finale while publicly vowing to fight the allegations. This is all just a ploy. This is all just a, um, an agenda to try to make me lose custody of my child. But the jury didn't buy it, and Paschal was convicted of aggravated kidnapping, domestic assault, and interfering with an emergency call after his victim gave powerful testimony against him. The next thing I remember, I was on the floor in front of my staircase that leads to the upstairs and he had um, me by the back of my head and was hitting my face into the floor and I was screaming for him to stop. Police said Wilson displayed symptoms of a concussion and she was taken to the hospital for treatment. Responding Knox County Sheriff's Officer Matt Johnson took the stand. What do you want to say about that? Because I do want to say Amanda's comment about yikes her saying i don't want to die doesn't hold up well um what i've been hearing and what i've been getting messaged and commented on is that part of part of what people think that varia doesn't see is that her a being on an international reality show and b being on you know court tv again international is that it's possible that it saved her life and she doesn't realize that what do you want to say about that clip um yeah i mean i i don't think it's a mistake that they keep using that clip of her saying i don't want to die i mean uh, you know but um it's sensationalism obviously but um i mean yeah i am having a hard time i'll be honest with you i'm having a hard time having any sort of like caring uh empathetic sympathetic anything feelings towards her that's just where i'm at because i'm personally, you know, involved, but yeah, yeah. I mean, this sentence saved a lot of people's lives, not just hers. You know what I mean? A lot of people's, a, I can't, I can't even tell you mine included Kristen's, Allison's, Sabrina's, his children, anyone he was due to come in contact with this sentence saved a lot of people, her Varya included. Mary included, Ashley included, anybody in this man's life included. You know, I said on my show uh, this week, earlier this week, that one of the issues that I've ha I've had with this whole situation um, is the fact that as women, there's a lot that we deal with on a regular basis. And um, just with society's norms and standards about what a woman, what a woman, what a wife, what a girlfriend should do and not do. 
Um, the biggest thing is the domestic violence piece. And I want to go ahead and pop this up before I talk about this. I think that it's important to realize that, again, what you see in the public sphere, what you see on a day-to-day basis is not necessarily what's happening behind closed doors. And a lot of people have questions about like, you know, why didn't this person leave early? Even with you, Shelby, why would you get involved with someone if you already knew that there were these issues happening and all of those things? And like the judge said, I think that oftentimes people who are alleged predators, people who don't value women, right? Because domestic violence, in my opinion, is about power and control. Mm -hmm. And it's about being more than you think your partner is. And so you, you get yourself in a situation where you think it's love and you've been in this situation for months or years or whatever the case may be. And you because the way society has structured itself, you're either financially bonded to this person or you're bonded to them through children or you're just bonded to them through them breaking down your self-esteem. However the case may be, you're with this person and because you've not ever been in a DV relationship, you don't know that this is not what it's supposed to look like. And so... I think it's important, again, like I keep saying, to put all of this in perspective, to put to look at the bigger picture and to understand that what you see on TV, little clips, you know, reality fame, whatever the case may be, even if it's even if it's your like favorite celebrity, what you're seeing presented to you is not necessarily what's happening behind closed doors. And I think that that's really important because I know that around the world, domestic violence is not looked at as, oh, this is a big deal, whatever, whatever. I think that there was one comment on my page that I was just like, you know, I want to respond, but I know that this person has seeped in their beliefs. One of the comments that I saw was this one specific woman was talking about how women need to service their husbands and that she feels like if more young women would have sex and expect sex in their relationships, specifically in their marriages, then there would not be an issue. Men wouldn't cheat. She talked about how a man couldn't rape her, his wife. And I just... I wanted to go there, but then I realized some people you can't change their mind because they don't understand that domestic violence is a real, it's a serious issue. It's an issue that's swept under the rug, but as women, we need to stand up and raise our voices. And I know that domestic violence is not specifically only towards women in general, but I will say this, that predominantly there are women victims that suffer behind closed doors. Now, is domestic violence non-gender? Absolutely. But I I want us to get to a place in life where it's just not okay. doesn't matter who you are. Do you want to say anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, and it kind of clicked for me after the sentencing is that, and what 
what has transpired and a couple of people have said it is that, you know, he, he was given this platform and this reach. And um, I think I might've commented in like a really long rant under uh, E! News's posts because I was just like so fed up, but that, you know, Jeffrey's calculated and he's smart. He knew what he was doing, you know, to, and the judge, he said it as well, to present this image of himself, good, loves animals, caring dad, won't even kill a stink bug, uh, just lost, looking for love, has had his heart broken so many times that by the time we got to the trial and we saw those photos, it would seem like such a far cry from the guy that we knew that there yeah. would be this discrepancy, right? Yeah. Uh, no, he couldn't have possibly done that. Or Ashley made a post uh, later that night that said, you know, we don't know the man that this judge speaks of. Well, that's the point. Yeah. You know, he made it a point for you not to. And I think also in this situation, because he was on a reality TV show and he's been on all these oxygen and snapped and ID shows and all that stuff is that it's hard to see him on TV, see him on your social media, see him on your internet, and then see him on your TV again. But, but uh, differentiate that that court TV appearance. Yeah. Real life. That was not a reality TV show. That was not an episode he was on. And it's, it's scary and it's sad that, it's so enmeshed like that now that people can't separate. Like when she posted her reel, this is what really got me. People commenting under have fun. Yeah. In court, have fun. Yeah. Oh, he's going to look so handsome. Like, yeah. Um, so, and yeah, I think, you know, domestic violence, you're correct. Does not have a gender. Is it our seven, maybe out of 10 cases involving men towards women? Yes, that's just statistics. Um, and, you know, domestic violence is not just physical. It's mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual, financial. Like you said, financial abuse is when a man, woman, whoever the partner is that's being abusive, will make it so that the person they're abusing is solely financially dependent on them, like we heard Allison say, where she didn't have the means to leave him. Um, and that is with a lot of women. I work at a domestic violence shelter local in my area. And these women are smart. These women are strong. These women are brilliant. But they are left having multiple children, having no job, sometimes no education allowed, because that is how these abusers keep their victims dependent upon them in every area possible. So I uh, I wish and I hope and I pray that this is the beginning of a different narrative. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that's why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Shelby, you and I, you know, we've, we've talked and we've reached out to each other. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to do this specifically and talk about the sentencing is to debunk a lot of the myths that are out there that I think that people just don't understand about domestic violence specifically in the criminal justice system in the United States directly. And I wanted to jump in because I want to play this clip with for you. We're going to do a lot of different clips and, and talk about it as we go through this. Uh, so everyone bear with us. It's going to be a long journey, but I think it's an important journey. Uh, I wanted to jump into the live chat because, again, when we're talking about domestic violence 
And we're talking about how your public front is not necessarily what's happening behind closed doors and how so many people can relate, but they don't have the voice, they don't have the platform, or they, they just don't have the opportunity to speak out. I'm going to go with Auntie's Advice Channel for Women. She says, I got rid of my abuser immediately, all caps, took him to court for months and had him incarcerated. But then we have Tammy who said, it took me 10 years to escape and never got justice. Okay. So there are people that are dealing with this specific domestic violence situation on a regular basis. And you may not know it. You may see smiles on their face. You may see them go through their day-to-day routine. But again, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And that's how important this situation is. I'm going to go ahead, Shelby, and play this clip, and then we're going to talk about it and move forward. This is a big step under Tennessee law when you have the sentencing, because then we can proceed with a motion for new trial and uh, then continue uh, with an appeal on uh, Jeffrey's behalf. So uh, the sentencing range is is fairly rigid under Tennessee law based on the... um, offenses that he was convicted of. So uh, as you pointed out, there's a a sentencing range of 12 to 20 years. Uh, So we'll be presenting um, a variety of mitigating uh, evidence and factors uh, for Judge Hickson on Thursday. Uh, There is a lot of uh, support and character letters that will also uh, be presented for the uh, court for uh, their consideration. Uh, The uphill battle uh, is the state has uh, filed to seek for an enhanced punishment. Uh, that's why we have a range of 12 to 20 years based on some prior convictions. But um, on Jeffrey's behalf, we're looking forward to getting to the Court of Appeals uh, and addressing some of the uh, issues uh, that we perceive to be um, potential errors uh, during the course of the trial. Uh, obviously, we can't comment on those until they're public record. Um, but uh, we're looking forward to uh, Thursday because that's the uh, next step uh, that allows us to, to move uh, forward on Jeffrey's behalf. And, and Gregory, tell me, uh, we know that you're a trial attorney. Our viewers, we all got to see you in action. Uh, you did a fine job advocating for your client um, in, a, in a tough case uh, with a lot of evidence stacked against him. Um, but you advocated very zealously for him. Um, I, I know that often in the practice of law, you may just do trial work and not necessarily appellate work, too. So I, I wanted to clarify, will you be pursuing this on appeal, you the motion for your trial, and then um, filing an, an appeal um as well as the higher court, or will you be passing that off to an attorney that strictly handles those kinds of matters? Uh, Julie, we are, we are retained for the appeal. We, we do a lot of appeals. We just had a great result in a first-degree murder conviction that we took over with a, the issue of schizophrenia uh, this Friday from the Tennessee Court of Appeals. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, yes, yeah, we do. Uh, we don't like to go to the Court of Appeals because that means typically we uh, uh, receive an adverse uh, uh, decision or we take it over from somebody that, that does. Uh, but no, we're very familiar with the record. Um, we have already uh, identified issues that we want to present. Uh, so uh, uh, we're ready to move forward. Okay, so what I want to say about this, you guys, is that that interview was done the Tuesday before the Thursday of the sentencing hearing. Uh, he went on Court TV, Jeffrey's lawyer, to elaborate about what he thought was going to happen on Thursday. And uh, just like Varya, and Varya had 
plenty of lives that she's done that I've shared on my show before where she didn't think that the sentencing hearing was going to be anything. She, uh, in my opinion, thought that perhaps Jeffrey was going to go free, that there was like a, a ace under the hat or whatever the case may be. Hence, like, oh, I'm going to bring him a suit. It's going to be like a super cool reel. And I'm going to decide, like, does this match? Does this match? All the things. Minimizing the severity of the situation. Minimizing the fact that he's a multiple long-term offender and that how serious this specific domestic violence charge was. So I thought it was interesting that he, he took to doing an interview on the Tuesday before the Thursday to talk about, Hey, yeah, no, we we're retained. We're going to be uh, part of the appellate uh, court. And we're going to also, um, appeal his sentencing and we're just waiting for the sentencing. We're going to wait for it to be public record. And there are issues that we've already identified that are going to be um, part of our appeal process. Now, I want you guys to understand that the appeal process. Okay. So here's what you need to know. Uh, Here's what you need to know is that the appeal process is not an easy process. Uh, Once you are indeed in the criminal justice system, you're in it. And so just like how you see um, people who have been wrongfully convicted and they go to, and I can't think of the word right at the top of my head, but they go to um, lawyers who represent those situations. It's not a long, it's not an easy process and they don't get it out of, out of a prison right away. It's that same situation. Whatever you believe about Jeffrey, even if he appeals, he's not going to get out tomorrow if the verdict goes in his direction. They're going to go through the steps because that is his right. But there has to be like a error in the judge's judgment or there has to be um, him saying he had an in, ineffective counsel. There has to be a legal problem issue for the courts to actually hear the appeal. So they're going through the motions because that's his right as a convicted felon. But that doesn't mean that he's going to be out tomorrow. And I think that that's important to note because people think, oh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a new trial and this is going to be overturned, and especially all of like, his supporters and all of that stuff. That is not how the criminal justice system works. Do you want to speak on this clip at all, Shelby? Yeah. So someone immediately uh, DM'd me when this was actual when this was on uh, mm-hmm. live, and I missed it. I only caught the tail end. And my immediate first reaction was that it was uh, that he deliberately did this interview, deliberately said that that he was already retained for an appeal, and you know, that they've identified multiple things in for it to do exactly what it did. Me, it sent my blood pressure through the roof. It mm-hmm. immediately terrified me. I became scared, terrified, anxious, uh, totally forgetting that, you know, not forgetting that sentencing was happening, but already past sentencing, we're at an appeal. What if this flips around and all of that? And then I stopped and I said to myself, he probably knows that Kristen is either watching someone's going to send it to her or something. And I'm not saying like the attorney's that calculated, but 
attorneys are calculated. That's their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no mistake that he did. He could have just said, you know, we have sentencing going. We're confident, you know, that we have what we need to present this, that, and the other. Didn't have to, you know, talk about the appeal. And, we, and I guess we know that he's not going to say he had an ineffective counsel because if he's representing him, he wouldn't represent him against ineffective counsel of himself. Yeah. Um, and that whole, yeah, that we've identified multiple things. Listen, I've watched the trial twice. I know the one thing, the one moment in that trial, which everybody does, um, where Kristen said that Jeffrey was deleting pictures of prior abuse. And that's when it stopped. All of that, you know, he wanted a mistrial in the moment. Um, so that's the only thing that I can think of. And I mean, I don't know, but to me, that's not enough to flip this around, especially now that we know for a fact that there was previous abuse. Um, but yeah, like you said, the appeal process is a long process and it's a multi-step process. You know, he'll go in April for the motion for new trial before Judge Hickson and Judge Hickson, which is the same judge that just sentenced him, would have to say, okay, okay, like you know, let me flip this around, which is probably not going to happen. So he doesn't. And then they have to send it up to the higher court. That's right. And, and I then- just want to clarify, Shelby, uh, it's, it's, it's March 24th. So is almost, it- almost April, but March 24th is the date that they set at the end. Oh, okay, of okay. Okay. I heard April trial. Um, <laughs> I'm going to address Amanda, your question shortly, but I do want to move forward because we have a lot to get through. Shelby, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip of uh, Allison, Allison, who is an ex-wife of Jeffrey. And then we're going to talk about that and then move forward. In 2006, late 2006. And shortly after that, we got married and we're married until mid-2013, roughly. Yeah. Six years you were married. Do the two of you have any children together? Yes. And how many? We have one. Okay. How old is is it a boy girl? It's a boy. His name is Crusoe and he is 10. All right. And you know why you've been called to court today. Absolutely. And um, you know that Mr. Paschal has been convicted um, of, of several things related to Ms. Wilson, correct? Yes. I want to talk to you specifically about some things that happened um, during your marriage to Mr. to Mr. Paschal. At any point during your marriage, um, was there physical abuse? Yes, there was. And if, if you could, to the extent that you can just kind of recall it off the top of your head there, um, can you just tell us about specific instances that you remember? Sure. Um, Early into our marriage, a couple months in, the there was a definitely verbal and, and emotional abuse. He would, Your he Honor, would, I would object. The enhancement factors talks about prior criminal offenses or criminal behavior. Uh, verbal domestic arguments would not rise to the level of uh, satisfying the enhancement prong under Tennessee law. It would not be uh, admissible or appropriate, so we would object, move to strike, and uh, ask that it be excluded further from the hearing. Judge, I I will just ask her about the the physical abuse. However, if there were instances of of 
verbal abuse where you felt like you object to her being, talking to the witness if she can ask the question and allow me to object. Um, okay, here's how I'm going to rule. I'm going to sustain the objection in part with a clarification. We don't need to hear about verbal altercations. Uh, the general is aware of uh, our state's assault statute and uh, how certain verbal behavior could rise to the level of criminal activity. You guys are well aware of that. I will allow that type of evidence, but otherwise uh, the general could just remain focused on questioning regarding specific instances of alleged criminal conduct. Yes, Judge. And so with that, uh, can you tell us about any physical abuse or um, were you ever put in fear by any verbal abuse? Absolutely. There were many threats made to me and to my family. He was violent to me on numerous occasions. Um, and I'm going to stop you for just a second. When you say threats, um, what kind of threats? To kill me, to harm my family. And uh, what one of the most one of the last uh, physical altercations that we had was um, I was arriving home after spending time with my cousin, with my son at the time, and he didn't believe that I was where I said I was and showed up at my home, um, grabbed me and threw me into the bathroom, closed the door, told me not to leave. Um, there would be consequences. He took Crusoe and put him in the car and left. He had taken my keys along with that. Um, after sitting there for a little while, I opened the door and quietly came out. He wasn't in my house anymore. Happened to find, um, I found my phone and when I contacted him to make sure my son was okay. That was my primary concern. Shortly, shortly after he came back to my house and no, nowhere in sight was my son, but he immediately attacked me and grabbed me and shoved me into the wall, threw me on the ground, um, strangled me. Um, when I finally broke free, he went and swung at me and I moved so he could hit the top of my head versus my face. And after that struggle went on for a good 20 minutes, um, I finally was able to plead for him to stop. All right, so Shelby, one of the things I wanna say, I'm gonna pop this up, Kathy Hill, cause I know that I, I corrected you and I guess I stand corrected. Um, from my notes, it was March 24th, but Kathy goes ahead and says they started with March 24th. They actually started with March 17th and it didn't work. They moved to March 24th, which I thought was the final date, but she says due to scheduling conflicts, it ended up being set to April 14th or 15th. So you were indeed, uh, Shelby, you're correct about the eight, April 15th or 14th date for the new trial date. And when I say new trial date is that they're going to see if there is cause to have a new trial. Correct? Yes. The, that is when they will motion for a new trial. Um, and really quickly, I just want to say I was, I was, I was incorrect. Um, he does have 
for, well, one current wife, three ex-wives. He does have an ex-wife, I think, before Sabrina uh, named Susan. I think it's before Sabrina or in between. And they have a son together that I believe is older, like the oldest of all of them. So, and I, I have no idea whether she wrote a letter or not. I don't, I don't believe so. I don't believe that that's a, a amicable relationship either. Perfect. So I'm glad we clarified that just because there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I think I'm still not clear in my head how many women are involved in this, but I, I do at a bit, know at a bare minimum, like we talked about, it's seven to 12, perhaps four ex-wives and girlfriends and fiancés strewn in between. And then again, what, like seven to 12 children involved as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So- I just feel like that says a lot. That being said, I do want to talk about this clip that we just saw about Allison. Uh, I know that you have an individual relationship with Allison. Do you want to speak on this clip? Uh, And then I'll speak after you. So I actually don't have a relationship with Allison. Um, We've never spoken. I've spoken to her husband. Um, But I I know Allison through uh, my relationships with Kristen and uh, Sabrina. And I... Uh, I, I, I'd already known a little bit about what she was going to share that had happened. Um, and this is the mother that, so when he was out for the year and a half, he was going to court like over and over again and he would take pictures in a court suit and this, that, and the other, he was going to court for, uh, a case involving Allison where Allison had filed for, uh, termination of parental rights to terminate Jeffrey's parental rights. So I say that. Because, you know, there's a lot of people, oh, she's lying. She's lying for Kristen. Kristen lied for her. This, that, and the other. It, that's a big deal to file to have someone's parental rights terminated. Meaning that if the, if the court rules in her favor, which I believe they already did long before this, um, that Jeffrey's no longer his father, legally. You know what I mean? Like, done and done. So you got it. You got to ask yourself if someone is willing to go to that extreme, like there's gotta be, there's truth, you know what I mean? to what is being said, but, um, yeah, I mean, Allison, he, he tortured all of these women, Sabrina. So is Allison, Allison's an ex-wife. Is she the one that still lives in the United States that has two children by him? Or is she the one that moved to Canada? Neither. Um, she she has one child with him. This is his, I guess this would be his third wife. Brittany's his fourth. Um, and they have one child together and she lives, I feel like I want to say Washington state, but I could have that confused with Washington DC. Got it. Okay. So she has one child from, we saw from court TV in the trial, they were married from, well, they were together from 2006 to 2013 and they have one child together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I thought, okay, so Dasha has a quick question for you before we move forward with the next clip. Uh, did you move back to Maryland? I did not. I continued on south to Florida. There you go. All right, we're going to play this next clip where 
again, uh, the reason why I want you guys, we're going step by step is I want to be methodical and so that you guys have a uh, the full picture of what's happening and what has happened and you have a better understanding how we got to 18 years as a sentencing. So just to recap, if you're just joining us, we are covering the Jeffrey Pichel sentencing hearing that happened the other day. And he got sentenced to 18 years full time, which means he's not um, a eligible for parole. Part of what the United States criminal justice system does, specifically Tennessee, is they have an enhanced sentencing factor, which means that if you're deemed a habitual offender, a repeat offender, that they can take in your past offenses in sentencing your current situation. That being said, we're going to go ahead and hear the judge address uh, Jeffrey's past drug convictions. So let me go ahead and play that for you. Being the number that uh, he would need to reach range two on a class B felony. And for that reason, I do believe that the state has shown beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Paschal is a range two multiple offender All right. Uh, Shelby, do you want to talk about what a range two multiple offender is in the state of Tennessee? Sure. Um, so two prior felonies makes you a range two offender. Uh, and Jeffrey, what the state did, and they did a great job at, is that, um, ooh, there goes my light. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll find it back. Okay. Um, so, oh, I'm not going to find it back because it just burned. Oh, no. I don't know what's happening. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. So Jeffrey's arranged to offender. The state presented, and they did a great job of it, that he has two previous felony convictions, two uh, federal convictions. And, you know, like you said earlier, a lot of people were saying, well, those were drug convictions of being a drug dealer. This is domestic violence. They're two totally different realms, totally, totally different things. How can you, whatever. And like you said, a felony is a felony is a felony. I believe it doesn't California still have the three strike rule or is that gone? I can't I can't speak on that because I haven't researched it. But okay, yeah, you know, I know it was a thing. I don't know if it's a thing I'm pretty positive in they, I'm pretty positive they still do. Um, but you know, in California, like you said, three strikes, you're out, 25 to life. Doesn't matter what the third strike is. Um so in Tennessee, they don't have a three-strike rule. They have to uh, establish that someone is a previous offender in order to get that enhancement, um, which they did. Now, a lot of people were like, and, and the discrepancy was that his drug charges, which were back, what, in 90, I forget what year it was, um, they didn't have an amount, right? The, the yeah. amount of drugs that he was arrested with. Yeah. And- I guess back then amount didn't really change, didn't change the charge. Nowadays, you know, it changes your charge from a misdemeanor to a felony to trafficking to this, that, and the other. So yeah. what they were clarifying and arguing was that, that, uh, that a uh, schedule, whatever it was, like the, the, the amount doesn't matter that yeah. his previous charges of the drug dealing and all that kind of stuff, whether it was that much or this much, establishes him as a habitual offender and range two offender. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to summarize what you said. So uh, for the viewers watching right now, what Shelby is saying is that 
Jeffrey's not a first-time offender. And in the state of Tennessee and in a lot of different states in the United States, if you're deemed a habitual offender, meaning this is not your first time to the rodeo, your previous convictions can be considered with your current sentencing. And that is what happened in this sentencing hearing with Jeffrey Pichel, is that he had multiple previous felonies, you guys. And and again, I don't think I have to give you the, the differentiation between felony and misdemeanors. He had multiple felonies and and the state of Tennessee, the prosecutor presented those felonies. What Shelby is saying is a lot of those felonies happened like in the 90s prior to some of the laws changing, saying that, hey, you have, a, have to have a specific amount to be considered a trafficker. You have to have a specific amount, amount to be considered a dealer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, the judge also said, because those laws haven't changed that much, he can still consider the conviction, hence the the felony conviction in his current sentencing hearing. So I hope that that's clear to you guys. I do want to shout out C. Cruz. Thank you so much for supporting the Melanated Way. Um, you know, we do put a lot of work into what we do. So I appreciate you supporting. Thank you so much for the super sticker. Uh, I do want to move on to the next clip that we're going to talk about. The trial heard the testimony of Miss Wilson. Ms. Wilson testified, testified at trial, trial that, that she, she bla testified at trial and today <clears throat> that she blacked out and was blacked out for probably half the time that this almost two hour assault was, was going on. Um, she stated that she was in and out of consciousness. When they finally get up into the bedroom and she lays down, she's fighting to remain conscious so that she can try and then get out um, once he lays down. Um, she talked about being in extreme physical pain. I mean, the pictures support that. Uh, she she literally had, you know, her forehead stuck out two inches. Um, she had scrapes on just about every single part of her body. And in this case in particular, Judge, I do concede that aggravated kidnapping does have the requirement of bodily injury. Um, I believe that the proof in this case actually established serious bodily injury. And when we look at the statutory definition for serious bodily injury, um, it is protracted unconsciousness extreme I want you to address uh, a lot of the things that both of us have heard in our comments and DMs. The smirking, that she got married so soon, that she's pregnant, um, and a little bit about the victim shaming. So can we speak on those four topics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this kind of goes to that whole thing that I was saying earlier about people not being able to differentiate between 
the reality TV show and this being not that and real. And, you know, there's a lot of people while the trial was on, on Court TV's YouTube chat that were like, is it his kid? And it's like, and I think a lot, like, is it Jeffrey's child? And I think a lot of people don't realize, even though you see 2019 and it's 2022, that, that this June will be three years since the assault occurred. So, I mean, can't it's impossible that it could be Jeffrey's three years going on, but um, I think people don't really like grasp that. Um, so yeah, there was there was so one comment that said, um, oh well, you know, she was smiling in the court, smirking, smiling, whatever in the gallery in the courtroom. She's not a true victim. A true victim wouldn't do that. Um, she got married so soon after this happened, if, you know, a, tr- a real victim wouldn't be able to move on so quick or, you know, um, she wasn't afraid to walk her dogs. That's bullshit. She wasn't scared like that. Uh, I think that's, and then, yeah, she's pregnant, whatever. Um, and that's, all, I mean, it's all victim shaming and it's all just diluted. Like, I don't even know what else to say about it is that, you know, Victims, we're allowed to smile. We're allowed to be happy. Um, the fact that she married someone, well, and, and I said this in the comments, and like, I shouldn't have to do this, but I will because I have the knowledge, is that her and her her husband dated for, I think, close to like six years before they split and she dated Jeffrey. So this is not some guy that she just met you know, after the assault and then boom, got married, which is what people are making it out to be, you know, that like, oh, she's a liar. This is bullshit, you know? Um, no. So, and, and at the end of the day, let's just say she did meet her husband right after the assault and got married three months later. What does that have to do with anything? What does it have to do with anything? Someone um, even said to me, you're not a real victim because you want to go be in the same room as him. A real victim wouldn't want to be near their abuser. And I think it's important to note that everybody handles trauma differently and that no nobody has the authority or the room to dictate to anybody else how they handle or process their trauma. Uh, and what's more disheartening about this is that a lot of these people making these comments are women. And then women that go on to say, uh, I was in a domestic violent relationship. I know what a victim looks like and she's not one. And I think that just goes to speak to what we were saying before about like how society feels about domestic violence. Like even victims are, are victim shaming other victims. And it's just how, uh, yeah, how society views this issue, you know, is that it's so taboo and it's so whatever that like, but it's happening all the time, everywhere. Um, so yeah, I was I was upset by all of that. I expected all of those comments. They happened after uh, the trial uh, as well. And victim shaming is a real thing, like a very real thing. And again, I think people are see a character on TV that Jeffrey is and thought this again, this court TV thing was an, uh, you know, a performance and all of that kind of stuff. And no, like these are real people's lives. 
These are real people who have a lifetime of trauma uh, to deal with, hurt, pain, permanent uh, physical injuries, permanent mental things going on. I mean, yeah, Kristen's pregnant. Kristen's nine months pregnant and had to get up on the stand on Thursday and not only stare Jeffrey in the face, but also stare his attorney in the face and that whole section behind him of people that she knows are out there saying she's a liar, she's this, she's that, and the other. So uh, I don't have time for any of that at all. I won't listen to it. I won't put up with it. I won't tolerate it. Um, I just, people need to be, I think, more educated on like domestic violence and all of this stuff, you know, like what it's like to leave or, you know, people shame people. Well, they didn't leave. It's not leaving, it's escaping, first of all. Um, and even even his attorney was up there saying, oh, well, how afraid could you have really been? Did you leave? Did you call the police? Did you file a police report? Did you do this, that, and the other? And I know from my own personal experience that calling the police or filing a police report, and, or like Allison said, what was a restraining order going to do? A piece of paper, an order of protection that doesn't do anything. So, um, and, and nine times out of 10, if I were to tell somebody or something, it would get back to the my abuser and then I would get it even worse. So all of those things go into play. Nobody can understand, like you said, what is going on in someone's life unless you're living it. Um, but I just think this narrative needs to change, you know, from like, what can we do to educate and protect our men and women against this type of these type of people and this type of behavior and not, you know, how can we glorify this man and shame these women? So I don't know if that made any sense, but. It made 100% sense. I do want to say this, that uh, in regards to Kristen specifically, because this was her sentencing uh, trial. When it comes to smirking, I want you guys to consider that every person deals with grief and trauma differently. Um, I think it's important to understand that if you have not been in this situation, you don't know how you would act or react. And it's not, it was not a closed court. It was an open court for the entire world to see and not everyone like myself who I'm a journalist, I'm used to being on camera in front of the camera with tons of people. Not everyone is is familiar with dealing with that. And not only are they not familiar with dealing with that, I chose to be in this profession. She is a, you know, an elementary school teacher. That's not her profession. So however she's acting or reacting, I don't think that there is one specific right way to act or react. She's going to deal with trauma and grief and the bright lights and court, how she deals with it. And there's no right or wrong way. So for those people that feel like there's a way you should do this and you should be crying, you should be losing. Not everyone deals with things the same way. And so I don't think that that's a valid point and it's not valid and it's not, it's simply, it's just not nice to judge that situation, especially when you've not been in it. As far as her getting married, quote unquote, so soon, again, just like in the 90 day fiance realm and franchise, I need you guys to understand that we're not watching the show in real life. 
they have filmed a year in advance. Just like court, court doesn't say, hey, you know what, you got you got charged today, you're convicted tomorrow, we're going to court on Friday. This all happened in 2019. And I know we're in a pandemic and I lose lose time and dates all the time. But we are in 2022. So 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, we're now at court for sentencing. And so, quote unquote, married so soon and her being pregnant, really, 19, 20, 21, 22, we're in four years, going into four years since this incident happened. So should she not have gotten married? Should she not have gotten pregnant? Should she stay single and, and live in the trauma? Or should she try to move forward? And like Shelby said, the person that she married wasn't someone that she like, oh, I hopped on Tinder and met the next dude the next day. This is someone that she had a history with. So again, I continue to tell you guys to look at the bigger picture and put everything in perspective because what you're seeing presented to you now in real time, oftentimes, especially with reality TV, all, all the TV, it's not in real time. If you're not watching a news broadcast in real time, this is 10 o'clock news, it's probably pre-recorded and you don't know when it was pre-recorded. So keep that in mind. As far as victim shaming, I want to say this. Domestic violence is a, is a huge deal. More people than not are affected by it. Children, men, and women. And oftentimes, and we've talked about it earlier, but I think it's important to reiterate that they're stuck. And they're stuck in a situation that, that oftentimes that they've never been in. Um, I'm going to share with you something that I personally have witnessed. Um, but I'm not going to get into detail because it's not my, my story to tell. But I will say this. I was the friend of someone that was a domestic victim, but... Um, survivor with someone who is readily known worldwide. I was still living in Canada at the time and I had an apartment downtown Vancouver and I hadn't talked to her in about a year and we went to university together. Uh, I was doing my um, extended degree all the things. And she was a bit older than me. And I met her in my first year. We became solid friends. I hadn't talked to her in a year. She had moved to California to be with this person who is in the public eye. And he isolated her. Uh, we used to talk like two, three times a week. We didn't talk for the, that whole year. And she popped up in Vancouver with him. And when she popped up in Vancouver, she popped up in my job. And I could tell when I first saw her that something was different. She looked different. She was acting different. She was she was at attention. And she just basically was like, I'm home. I'm visiting home, blah, blah. I would love to get together with you. Fast forward, we got together and it was a super awkward situation. She went back to Los Angeles and um, got pregnant reached out to me, said, hey, blah, 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 I'm going to be having a baby, this and that, this and that. We talked through that, and I was happy for her. And um, a short while later, she called me in a panic, saying that she needed to come back to Vancouver immediately. Um, could you stay with me? And she did. And 
um, she lost that baby. I'll say that. And he came looking for her, but he didn't know where I lived. And so it was a whole situation that we dealt with at the time. And lo and behold, she went back to him. And the when I when I talk about this situation and I talk about my experience in university, because again, I taught I tell you guys that like my undergrad is is in all of this stuff. One of my professors said to me, think of it like a commercial. You watch a commercial and you think you saw, saw it for the first time, but really you've seen it seven times. It didn't register the first time. The second time, maybe you were eating dinner. The third time you were distracted. The fourth time you are like, who is this? What is this? But by the seventh time you're like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. That's the same thing with people who are dealing with domestic abuse. They might want to leave the first time. They might want to leave the second time. The third time they understand that the situation is not a situation that they should be in, but what can they do? Maybe there's a, a financial crutch involved. Maybe there are children involved. Maybe there's a lack of education involved. Maybe there's education involved, but there's also fear. Whatever the case may be, it's not on any of us to say, oh my God, this dude or this woman or this person did this to you this first time and you didn't leave and you had the choice to leave. That's not what happens. The abused, it takes time because it's not only about the physical abuse, it's also about the mental abuse and your inner strength, your inner courage, your inner beliefs about yourself, that person has already tore all of that stuff down. And, you know, the outside bruises can, can heal, but the inside bruises haven't healed right away. So when we talk about victim shaming, I just encourage you guys to understand that it's not that easy. And all we can do as people that are a supporter of victims is support them in any way they need to be supported and know that when the time is right, it will be right for that specific person and they'll do what they need to do. And hopefully it's not, it's not too late. So I say all that to say, and I share my friend's story in a little bit, because again, it's not my story to tell in its, its complete entirety. And Dasha, I see your question, but I, again, it's not my story to tell. Um, I will say this, you guys be gentle. Be gentle with people because you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You see myself and Shelby here, but you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You don't know our story, but you want to jump on social media and say this and that, and this person is this, and they should have done this and this. You don't know. And so I encourage you to like take a breath, look at the situation in its entirety, and make sure that you're not part of the problem that you're not victim blaming someone who's in a situation that you may know nothing about, okay? Because I will tell you this, domestic violence is more common than not. And I know Shelby said it, but I wanna reiterate, the violence is not just, it, it's not just physical, it can be emotional, 
It can be mental. It can be financial. There are a lot of forms of abuse that happen to people and it happens every single day. Okay. And it's the people that have the courage to speak out like Shelby, speak out like Kristen, speak out like Allison, knowing that they're going to be trolled by people who don't think it's a big deal. People who think that, oh, you can't rape your wife. Oh, you can't beat your wife. That's your wife. That's your duty. There's, there's all of that. But guess what? They still take all of their trauma. They put their courage knowing that, you know what? My story is going to help the next person. And they go through it anyway. So I encourage you guys to make sure that you're not part of the problem. That being said, if you're in a situation right now, if you're in a situation that you're having questions about, if you are scared, on the bottom of the screen, you're gonna see the hotline.org where they don't trace anything, they know that you're in a dire need and they can help you, please reach out to www.thehotline.org. Um, do you want to say anything before we move on? I know, Shelby, that was a long talk, but it was important for me to get out. I thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you sharing something vulnerable like that. Um, I think what I really, what's been on my brain since we started this little segment is that I just want to clarify what the look that Jeffrey had on his face after he was sentenced, that was smirking. Kristen cracked a smile um, and you, right. So there you can kind of see her behind uh, the DA. Yep. Uh, and I, listen, I saw it. I will be totally honest with you. I saw it. She was doing something with her hair and I saw her smile. And my first thought was she's going to get ripped for that. Yep. And I, I knew it immediately. I said, people are going to rip her for that and say, she's not a real victim because she's smiling. Yep. Yep. So, um, again, you know, I, I think that again, you don't know people's reactions, right? So like my thing that I've, I've noticed and I didn't notice it. Actually, people told me that this is what I do. Sometimes when I'm talking, Shelby, I do this. I do it too. With my lips. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing? Why is that like something you do all the time? You're in an interview and you're like, rubbing your lips all the time and i didn't realize it's like um it's like uh, i don't know it's something that i don't realize that i'm doing but it's like self, self-soothing thing that something you right we all have our thing and does that mean that oh this is not a, a proper interview does that mean that whatever i'm going through i didn't go through because i smirked or because i'm rubbing my lips no that doesn't mean that it means it's like a it's like a maybe it's a insecurity maybe it's self-soothing whatever the case may be it's involuntary and you just do it and we like i said we all deal with trauma we all deal with situations differently and again if you're on an international level you have that much more um, eyes on you and that much more pressure on you. I do want to go ahead and play this clip and uh, let's talk about it. Hold on one second. Let me get the clip ready. Uh, I think it's this one.
serious bodily injury is not an element of aggravated kidnapping. Only bodily, bodily injury. injury. And we, and do, we believe do believe that, that the evidence supports that, that she did suffer serious bodily injury. So we would ask the court to apply those um, enhancement factors. Um, again, as to the length of the sentence, this is a sentence that has to be served at a 100% service rate. Um, he may receive jail credits up to 15%. Um, but given, given the history that we heard from that witness stand today, this is an individual who, for the last 15 years at least, has tormented the women in his life, has verbally assaulted them, has mentally abused them and controlled them, and has physically assaulted them. Miss um, Wilson testified that she can't even walk her dogs down the street anymore, and she has good reason for that. Um, these, these women, we make a lot to do in these cases about the fact that the women stay, but um, these women stay because of exactly why they, they said they did, because he controlled every aspect of their life, and he's done this for the better part of his life. Um, we do believe that he is an extreme danger to society. Um, he's a danger to, obviously, the women that he chooses to bring into his life. He has a, a very high lack of potential for rehabilitation. Um, as we saw from the witness stand, you know, he, he is still blaming this entire thing on her. Um, and even after conviction, he's, he's directing his family to, to take his kids to her house, giving them her address and saying, take my kids there and ask her to, to testify, you know, for me at, at sentencing to, to say that I've learned my lesson. He's taken absolutely no responsibility for this. And, and I'm in the state, again, we understand that because he did plead not guilty. Um, but we do not believe that he was truthful when he testified um, at the trial. And, and the jury also apparently did not believe that, that these injuries were sustained from falling into a door. Um, and so we do believe that he has a, a very strong lack of potential for rehabilitation. Um, and so, again, Judge, at a, at a minimum, the state would be asking. Do you want to speak on that, Shelby, before I do? The, the, which part? So all okay. of it. So I'll start. So basically what the prosecutor was saying is, is, is this. It's everything that we said, that we've heard what domestic violence is. We've heard the injuries this, to this person. We've heard like, why didn't she leave? Cause her, his lawyer was like, well, why didn't she leave? Or why didn't she report it? Why didn't she get a restraining order? And I will say this, that auntie's advice says late ladies false restraining orders do work. Please don't believe that they're not necessary. Mm -hmm. I'll say this document everything ladies, because that was part of what happened at trial, not at sentencing, but at trial where they talked about, well, you, what, what date, what specific time, what year. And if you're in trauma, you're not going to remember, oh, it was at 1202 on September 23rd of 2020. You're just going to remember that, oh, perhaps on Sunday, I remember I woke up, I thought it was a good day and it ended up not being a good day. And if there's multiple not good days, they're all going to blend into each other. So if you can, and, and your 
someone that is dealing with domestic violence, keep a journal. But I understand when you write things down and you don't feel safe in your own home, that that can be used against you. That's one thing. But the second thing is I've always been told that if you are able to have friends, because a lot of the times uh, these abusers isolate you and you you don't have friends and family that you can reach out to immediately. If you are of the few that can, let whoever is in your your circle know what's going on. Let them know, hey, listen, you know what? This happened to me. Go ahead and write that down for me because I can't keep that in the house. Go ahead and send a voicemail and say, hey, keep this voicemail. I'm deleting it on my end, but I need you to keep it. Because I've also been in that situation where someone's like, hey, listen, I need you to keep it. This is what's going on. I'm deleting it, but I need you to save it. Do all of those things. Because as we've seen in this court where the defense counsel went ahead and and asked both Allison and Kristen, well, what what date did that happen? When did you say it? can that be true? If you don't remember what date it was, could it be that serious? Listen, y'all, sometimes, especially in this pandemic, I don't know if it's Monday or Friday. Does that mean it wasn't Monday or Friday? Does that mean that whatever I'm saying happened didn't happen? No, it's because we're all going through a lot. So you can imagine going through a lot on top of trauma, on top of violence, on top of making sure that today you wake up and you're not going to be abused. Okay, so I say all that to say uh, the prosecutor was saying that here's what Kristen said. This is what happened to her. And this is why Jeffrey should be considered for the enhanced sentencing, which we continue to talk about because a lot of people don't understand enhanced sentencing and enhanced sentencing in the state of Tennessee. If you are considered um, a multiple offender. I'm echoing somewhere. If you're considered a multiple offender, if you're considered someone who has multiple felonies, your previous felonies can be considered in your current sentencing, which is why that instead of 12 year on the lower end, he was considered for 12 to 20 on the higher end and why he got 18 years. He's not a first time offender. He has multiple felonies. And again, a felony is a felony is a felony. When you consider the courts. So that's what the judge took into consideration. Shelby, do you want to speak on anything? Uh, are we going to go over it later or now the, um, him asking his kids to go to Kristen's house? Oh, we're going to talk about that shortly. Let's go ahead and look at this clip, and then we can talk about it. Tennessee, the defendant is given an opportunity to address the court. It's called allocution. This is your opportunity to address the court if you'd like to do so at this time. We have just a moment? Yes.
He was just speaking to his client about the opportunity for allocution. I'm a 44-year-old man. I have a lot of love left in me, a lot of hope. I have dreams still. I have a beautiful family. Beautiful friends. Uh, I'm a dad. Got children out there. I'm going to be a grandfather here in Maine. Uh, I'm an uncle, I'm a nephew, I'm a son, I'm a grandson. I respect Miss Wilson Chapman. I respect Miss Moon. Miss Moon is the mother of my child. She's right ahead of us in five years. I wish nothing but the best for them. Although there is a different circumstance of events that occurred, I still respect them. I wish nothing but the best for them. As far as punishment, punished, punished and broken. There, I'm, I'm I can rehab. Rehabilitation is, is, is a form of punishment. And I'm, I want to be better no matter what. I, I do have faults, but I want to be better. I want to be the best at what I can be. And my focus is, is on doing that. Whether it be you know, via my family or just be a better person all the way around. As you hopefully read in those letters, you know, people have a common theme in that I go out of my way to help people. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. It just gives me that internal satisfaction to help people. You know, that's what that's that's my reward. So I ask that you uh, you have mercy on me. You have mercy on my family, my kids, and show me leniency in the sentencing, so I can be a productive member of society and be back in their lives. Thank you. Thanks, sir. The court is called upon to impose a sentence here that is consistent with the purposes and principles of the Tennessee Sentencing Reform Act. And there are mandatory considerations that I must look at when imposing this sentence, set forth 4035.210b. Of course, I've carefully considered the evidence from the sentencing hearing which included the pre-sentencing report. I've uh, listened carefully uh, to the argument of counsel. Of course, I'm very familiar with the nature and characteristics of the criminal conduct of which Mr. Paschal has been convicted in this case. Uh, Do you want to speak first? Uh, sure. Um, I... I don't know if I was surprised or not that he spoke or uh, allocated, but uh, I'm not going to now. Um, not surprised because he'll take any opportunity to give a performance, but uh, it was very difficult to watch that because there was not one drop of sincerity, honesty, 
at all. You know, like I respect Miss Chapman and Miss Moon. I mean, anybody who has watched him for the year and a half on social media, go take a peek back at all his YouTube videos. Ask me if there's respect for his exes and those. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a 40, I have a lot of love left to give. Like it, it just, it was just like, where was his attorney on that one? Should have told him to sit his ass down and shut up. But yeah, rehab is a form of punishment. Like, no, that's like what, that's what addicts think when they get forced, they have to go to rehab, that they're being punished. Like, no, that's not how it works. Um, and, and please have mercy on my children. That, that really set me off because it's like, you want the judge to have mercy on your, your children, but you've had no mercy on your own children, you know, doing this, going on 90 day fiance, knowing the history that he has, um, pitching to court TV to have them come film this trial. Like you have mercy on your own damn kids. Part of my, sorry. Um, but yeah, it was just all bullshit. So I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I, if I was in the same position, sure. I'd probably get up and give him, you know, wing it and give it my best shot at, you know, make making, uh, some emotions turn, but no, it was awful. That was disgusting. Like the judge said, it was, it was, it was insulting. It was offensive. It was, but again, look at who we're talking about. Did not expect one thing less than that. So my take on this is, <clears throat> and I've seen a lot of, of people during sentencing where they allocate, um, there's a sense of remorse. Uh, there's an apology given to the victims if there are victims. Mm. Um, and there is also a statement of I can do and will do better. I didn't see any of that in this this allocation. What I saw was, hey, look at me, I'm the victim. I have a lot of love and hope and dreams in my future. And, you know, I've already been punished, he thinks in his mind, and he's already broken, meaning that he didn't think that they were gonna come to this, this conclusion. He didn't think that he was going to spend any time in jail. And if you guys remember, we talked about it at the top of our show, is that uh, prior to all of this coming out, the state did offer him a few plea deals. And one of those plea deals was he just had to, to admit to what he had done, and he would have served no prison time. Another one was he would have to admit and serve less than a year. There was like probation or parole or whatever you want to call it involved. Um, and he turned those down and he turned those down because his pride thought that between being charismatic and good looking, um, quote unquote, a single white male in America that he would be able to get away with anything and everything that he, he thought he could get away with. And he thought he could charm his way out of all of this and then it would go away. And I encourage you guys to remember that prior to the trial starting back last year, late last year, he was gallivanting across the US on holiday. He was, you know, 
in Florida. He was in Vegas. He was all across the place doing like wine tasting and beer tasting and all of the things. Someone even told me that he was like getting Botox so he would look good for TV, all the things. And he wasn't taking it seriously. And fast forward, you know, to again, February 2022 to his sentencing. He's had some time behind bars now, months and months behind bars. And he had time to think about remorse, regret, his history of violence, both verbally and mentally and physically. And yet he stood up and made it about himself. He has a lot of love to give still. He has hopes and dreams. He has been punished enough and broken enough. And no lookout to his victims, no lookout to his multiple children who are having to deal with this. And if you if you go back to um, his social media, a few of his older sons jumped on his social media in order to like raise money for him to plead to the public that this is not the, the dad that they know all the things. And we also learned in the trial that he used his mom and his and his children to try to influence some of the witnesses that were going to be there today. So all of that to say, when we talk about domestic violence, it again, it's not just about the physical, the mental abuse. It's also about the manipulation. It's about the power and it's about the control. <laughs> and controlling that entire situation. And that's what we're seeing play out in my personal opinion. I do wanna talk about the fact where he said rehab is a form of punishment. Rehab is a point, listen, <laughs> listen y'all. It's only punishment if you don't actually want to be rehabilitated. Yep, that's, that's, what, I was, that's what I was getting at. That's it, that's all. If yeah. A, you don't see you're the problem, if B, you don't see what the problem is, then yeah, rehab is punishment because it's forcing you to reflect on your own inner issues. It's punishment. But if you think you've done nothing wrong, then yeah, it's punishment. But if you acknowledge that, hey, you know what? I'm the wrong, the person that's in the wrong and I need to deal with my issues, then guess what? Rehab is exactly what, what that is. It's rehabilitating the way you act, the way you function in order to move forward, like he said, as a better productive citizen, period. Uh, let's go on to uh, another clip, Shelby. I don't know why I keep doing that. Hold on. <laughs> Tennessee, the defendant is given an opportunity to address the court. It's called I allocution. I think we played this, this one, so it's not this one. My bad. Hold on. Oh. Hold on, Kristen, one second. I hope it's this one. Uh, Mr. Paschal, like every human being, has good aspects 
and he has some aspects here that we have seen that have been exposed that are very dark and are really evil. Uh, I know that I ruled that the letters of support are not properly in the record. I stand by that ruling, uh, but I'm not surprised that Mr. Paschal be able to convince friends, family, fellow citizens, that he's a good guy, that he's an upstanding citizen. He's a handsome guy, he's charismatic, has a job. He's also very image conscious. I'm not surprised at all that he projects an image outwardly to the world that he is this type of person. What we have seen here and what has been exposed in this trial is that what is going on behind closed doors is much different than the image that Mr. Paschal projects out to the rest of the world. As I've stated, this behavior towards these women is sick, it is sadistic, it goes beyond a desire to inflict physical harm on these women. It speaks of a deep psychological issue, I think, that Mr. Paschal has a desire to inflict as much emotional damage to these women as possible. The fact that he traveled to the state of Florida to sneak in the back door of Miss Moon's parents' home uninvited, engaged in aggressive sexual behavior following that intrusion. I think the record shows here that Mr. Paschal is manipulative and he thinks, hey, just let me talk my way out of this. He thinks he can do that. I'm deeply concerned that he, after being found guilty while in custody, was attempting to have a third party Go see Ms. Chapman, again, unsolicited, at her home, in direct contravention of any order that this court has given him regarding contacting the victim in this case. And not only that, he was willing to use his children as a pawn in this illicit scheme to try to convince Ms. Chapman to come in here and speak on his behalf. That's disgusting, and he should be disgusted by that behavior. This court is. Mr. Patrick, sir, if you please stand. Jeffrey Ian Paschal in Docket 116806. The jury having found you guilty in count one of aggravated kidnapping, a class B felony. For the reasons stated, the court finds that the appropriate sentence in this case is 18 years to serve. You're a range two offender. This, of course, will be a 100% service rate. As to the misdemeanor counts in two and three, the appropriate sentence in those will be 11 months, 29 days to serve. Those will run concurrently with the aggravated kidnapping in count one. The pleas will be incorporated into the judgment, or pardon me, the jury's verdict will be incorporated into the judgment, and judgment will enter at this time. Uh, the cost, of course, will be assessed in this case, and judgment orders will follow. 
Can we go ahead and pick a motion for new trial date? Yes. I like how you're trying to like ask Jeffrey what day works for him. Can you check this I'll uh, go a little ways out past the 30 days. Uh, could we set it on March the 6th? All right, we talked about that. It's going to be in April, I think the 14th or 15th. Um, Shelby, the sentencing, your thoughts? Um, well, first let me say that we didn't get to see everything that the judge said to Jeffrey in that closing statement, um, which I'm a little upset about because we missed um, that the judge uh, called him out for monetizing the trial uh, through his social media and all of that and dragging while dragging uh, all of his ex's names through the mud. Um, he said some other things, but I'm drawing a blank on them. I was, I mean, I was told directly by people that were in there, but anyway, I thought that judge Hickson had him pegged, Per, like totally perfectly he he if my dog starts barking he's getting a little moody um he had him so down and and if you watch and I wasn't really paying attention I guess when I first watched it the first time I was just taking it all in but like Jeffrey doesn't even look at him the entire time like just staring this way, you know, purposely. It's just so arrogant and rude, you know? Um, and then the smirk, the smile when he says 18 years, like that that right there is, I believe, what Judge Hickson is talking about. That outward appearance, that image control, and this this deep desire to inflict, like he said, not just physical pain. I, I believe he likes the to inflict the emotional trauma on people more than the physical. I mean, he takes, he takes joy in it. He takes pleasure in it. Um, even back then, like the people whose DMs he would go into, a lot of people were starting to post like these really old, you know, DM conversations with him. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I was very grateful for Judge Hickson. I was grateful that he, um, was like, you know, this is, this is enough. Um, I was grateful that he called him out like that publicly. Um, and I, I just think, I just think he had it nailed down and the sentencing. Um, I was a little upset at first when I heard that the state only wanted 16 years, you know, I thought, you know, that they were going for 20. Um, so I was a little nervous at that. And then I thought judge Hickson chose, you know, chose an appropriate amount of time. I mean, he could have, he could have given him 20. He could have given him more than 20. You know what I mean? But he gave him 18. And um, I, th I, I, it was deserved. And like you said earlier, all the things he's been caught for, but all of the times he has abused these women and other women that he has not been caught for. Like this felt like justice, not just for Kristen, but like, um, and someone else said it to me today. One victim's justice is a justice for all victims, you know, of domestic violence. So it felt 
not just because I have a personal um, connection with him, but as a victim of domestic violence, it did not get justice in my situation. Um, it felt very uh, victorious in that sense, I guess. But um, whenever we're going to talk about that video with his kids, I'm looking forward to that part. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I will say this, that I think that what's important to remember, especially in the 90 day fiance fandom, is that just like the judge said, it's easy to convince people that you're charming, that you're handsome, that you're a good guy, you have a job, all of these things. But we have to remember all the things that he's doing behind the screens, behind closed doors. Um, the fact that he, you know, went to Florida uh, to his ex-wife's family's house and tried to intimidate her. Uh, the fact that um, he used his children and his his mom, which we didn't see in that clip, to try to convince Miss Chapman to change her testimony and to try to convince other witnesses to change their testimony to say, hey, this is this great guy. You know, he's great. He doesn't deserve this. The fact that when we saw him, not only when he was allocuting, but when the sentencing was being delivered, that he his body language, he completely turned his back on the judge. That's all part of DV, because at the end of the day, when I've told you over and over again uh, during this stream that it's about power and control, and guess what? Jeffrey has been in power and control over the women in his life, the children in his life, the people in his life for very long. Now he's in a situation where there's a judge who has the ultimate power over him, and he's not feeling it. He's not feeling it. It's just like victims of rape. Rape is not about the sex it's about the power and control. Domestic violence is about the power and control and, and, and taking that away from the individual. And so he wasn't trying to hear it. So if you watch his body language, when he's turning away and he's looking, it's almost like he's looking at his people. He's looking at his supporters and he's not paying attention at, to what the actual sentence is. And I, I watched the trial in its entirety even when he was taking notes, he's handcuffed, but he's taking notes. He's also yelling at his um, lawyer when he's not liking what he's hearing, when he is paying attention. All of that is power and control because guess what? In this situation, he didn't have the power and he didn't have the control. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, I wanted to remind you guys that in all of this, I want you to look at the bigger picture and remember that he got convicted by, you know, a jury of his peers. This was not a, a separate trial. Like a lot of people have been messaging me about this was his sentencing hearing. And in America sentencing hearings, you're allowed to have witnesses. You're allowed to have both the opposition and the defense come and say, these are the facts of the case, according to how I see it and present everything to the judge again in order for the judge to have, like I want you guys to have, a full understanding of the situation. That being said, um, before we get into this last part, Shelby, because I know that we've gone a little bit longer than last time, I, I think it's important for us to address uh, a couple of things. 
But before we do that, I do want to, oh, where is it? Please hold the line while I look for it. I hope I didn't delete it. While you're looking for that, um, not only was he having his mom take his, or telling his mom to take his kids over to Kristen's house, he handed out, he passed around my cell phone number. To whom? In the jail to the inmates. Um, I've gotten many messages, phone calls, video chats, and all of that from inmates that say, you know, they got my number from their dog in there. And, you know, that he said I'd be willing to converse with them and have conversation and chat with them. And Wow. How do you feel about that? How did that make you feel? Uh, I mean, scared, obviously, that, you know, he from in there could still have a means to uh, abuse us, you know? Um, And then I was on a mission to catch him, you know, like screen record my phone when the video calls came in and stuff like that. And then eventually I just called the jail and I needed to know for myself if there, if this was, I knew it was true. I mean, how else would these men have gotten my number? And I asked if they, if there was any chance that the three men and Jeffrey would have ever crossed paths and they said there's no question they would cross paths. They live in the same pod. So um, we'll see what happens now that, you know, he's sentenced. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Thanks. Uh, everyone in the live chat is saying the same thing. We're sorry that that happened to you. Uh, so we're going to talk about Varia uh, very briefly, but I do want to address the questions that are nonstop in the live chat. A lot of people want to know how Varia is still staying in the country Hmm. if she's not indeed married to Jeffrey. She won the green card lottery back in 2020. I said this back then. I've maintained this since uh, going public or all this came out. She won the green card lottery. That's why she's here over a year. They're not married. She doesn't need him to... Stay here now. I, I do. She said something about paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So maybe her citizenship paperwork or whatever going through is being held up, or there's uh, something wrong with that. But she has a green card 150%. She has a green card. There's no question. This whole, you know, she can't work because she doesn't have a work beat, this, that, and the other. Like, no, it's all a crock of crap. She has a green card. Um, I guess you need citizenship to work in the US. I don't really know how that works. I don't want to sound ignorant, but. Um, with the green card, are you? can you work? Yeah, so I'm an immigrant. You can work with the green card. You don't need citizenship. As long as you have your green card, which is indeed your work permit, you can work in America. You can't vote, um, but you can, you can work. You're a taxpaying citizen. And after X amount of time, you can apply for your citizenship if you behave and act accordingly on your green card. So um, that's the case. So... Um, that's what I've heard. I didn't know that that, it's, I find it interesting that she won the lotto because, um, the United States government winning that green card lottery is like winning $10 million in the lotto. It's very few and far between. So I really just find it hard to believe, but if, if indeed she won the lotto, she won the lotto and she's here, she has a green card. Um, dopey dope. I just want to thank you really quickly for your support and the super sticker. Um, 
people want to know about Jeffrey's parents. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to pop up some comments. Um, someone said, hold on. I saw them. Uh, his siblings. Uh, Lori said, what are Jeffrey's parents like? Uh, I've never met his mother, um, but his father I've met multiple times every time I went to visit, although he told me it was not his father. <laughs> um, That's weird. Yeah. Well, his father, uh, Bobby Paschal, is a convicted sex offender and on the registry for... Um, a sexual act with under 13. So Tammy in the comments said, Lori, uh, his dad is a convicted child predator. Um, and the brother robbed a bank while wearing a motorcycle helmet. It's a family tradition, you might say. So would you say that those are those that's accurate? Both true. You can Google his brother, Nicholas Paschal. He robbed a bank uh, in a motorcycle helmet. Um, and yes, his father, Bobby Paschal, I mean, it's, it's been all over meme blog pages. And honestly, I don't give a shit about saying, part of my language, about saying this because I don't mess around with, you know, uh, child molesters at all. Not that I'm, you know, anybody, but yeah. So his father, it's that's public record. I mean, he's on the sex offender registry, so that's there. And his brother was all over the news, um, so, and he has another brother, uh, I think his name is Ryan. I think he's three brothers. So Nick, or there's four, yeah, there's four of them. So there's Nick, there's Jeffrey, there's Ryan. And I met Ryan multiple times. Um, don't know about anything criminal history with Ryan. I do know that he has a TBI um, that he sustained from an accident in the last couple of years. So, um but uh, he t yeah, he told me he was not his father. Although when this gentleman called his phone, it came up as dad and he would say dad. And then when I mentioned something later about your father, he was like, oh, that's not my father. He's like, I just called him that. And I'm like, okay. And then it wasn't until <clears throat> I saw a post on, uh, you know, social media uh, with his sex offender uh, registry photo that I was like, oh. Okay, no, that's really his dad. Um, so his dad's a sex offender. One of his brothers has been convicted of um, robbery. Another one has TBI. I, I think there's one other. Okay. I mean, I, there's four of them from what I believe and understand, but I don't know that I know anything about the four. Now, Patty's asking, she's, or she's stating that his mom online seemed aloof, but probably a big defender. Defender. Anyone know if he even had a father present? Well, we talked about the father part. Do we know anything, Shelby, about oh, his... his mom? Yeah. Um, I'm not a parent, so I guess I can't say what I would do if my child, you know, I, I would, and I, I could say, you know, I would not, you know, whatever, but no, she is a strong believer that Jeffrey, no, let me say this. Let me clarify that. She knows Jeffrey did this stuff. There's no question. She knows that he did because 
she even asked one of his exes, like I said, to write a letter of support. And then when this ex said no, she said to her, well, you're not going to, you know, hurt his case by, you know, saying anything, are you? So his mother knows who he is, what he's done, all of that. And yet she still won. Uh, and we didn't get to see this, but they, we, you could kind of hear the audio during the sentencing, but it was really very not clear. There was an actual jailhouse video call that was recorded between Jeffrey and his mother of him telling her to take the kids to Kristen's house unsolicited um, and all of that. So this <laughs> hearsay, this wasn't told by Kristen to, to the state. No, this was literally a recorded call that they caught. Um, yeah. So, uh, and his mother and mother was willing to do that. And like I said, she asked his exes that she knows he has abused to write letters on his behalf. Yeah. She is ruthless. She's no shame, but that pretty much goes for par for the course for that entire seating section. So thank goodness. Yes. I didn't have kids with him. He tried. You tried. All right. Let's uh, talk about this real quick. Ah, okay. So he has a, his other brother is Chris. He works at a government job in DC, a total prick, but fairly normal as far as the rest goes. All right. Varya, in response to uh, the sentencing the other day, uh, not only did a reel, and and again, a lot of people came to me, I want to explain how reels work, especially on Instagram. If you are a content creator, if you are a verified blue check um, member, if you have a specific number of followers, Instagram will pay you for posting reels. And that's why you're seeing a lot more reels by influencers and content creators. That being said, Varya posted this reel and I don't have the actual reel. I only took a screenshot of it, of her with a cake, with the candle that it has a five on it and her caption to this reel that she's monetizing and making money on is <clears throat> sweet baby boy Chasm would have celebrated his fifth birthday today with the birthday cake emoji. Thank you at Jersey underscore Christina for this wonderful cake. He and his dad would absolutely love it. Unfortunately, neither of them got to taste it. To be honest, we didn't expect much from the sentencing. 18 years, question mark. All right, we passed the bottom. That means there's only one way up. The grounds for the appeal become even stronger. Christian, do you wanna talk about this? Um, it's funny because if you go to the end, was that where I wrote it? I don't remember where I wrote it, but I, I predicted exactly this was going to happen. I said, you know, sentencing would happen. I, I predicted she'd post something from the parking lot immediately afterwards, but I said, and then later she'll post some sort of reel involving Jeffrey or his son to make money. And here it was. So not surprised, totally expected. Um, it's. I don't even know the right word to like describe how like repulsive and disgusting it is. Um, not only, so she's posted, I think two other reels involving chasm decorating his grave site. Um, 
also with things sent in by this Jersey Christina person um, who is a diehard, you know, Jeffrey supporter. Um, but never met him in person and I'm sure wrote one of those letters. But um, I mean, Vari has posted more at Chasm's gravesite than Jeffrey did. You know, she has posted more about that child than he has. So the fact that she is, and then the whole mood of this reel, right? She's rolling her eyes, looking up to the sky, you know, uh, putting out the, the flame. But then the music that it was set to was like this techno beat. Like it was just so, it just, I don't know. It just seemed like it was just very, none of it made sense. None of it tied together. It was just all very odd. And it was exactly what she wanted, which was she knew it would draw attention. She knew everybody would be looking for what she was going to say after the trial. And it did exactly that. Go look at the number of views, you know what I mean, that it has on it. Over 200,000. Um, so, and and I say that and then also say with what the judge said that we didn't get to hear, like I said, it was calling Jeffrey out on monetizing this trial. Well, she's now continuing to do it. He's in, he's in jail and she's out here monetizing it, monetizing off the trauma and abuse that he caused to Kristen, to Allison, all of that. And she's <clears throat> never met Chasm. Uh, no clue. And she's sitting here offering up his birthday cake. Like my heart went out to Brittany, his mother, you know, Brittany's mother, who not only Chasm's buried in Tennessee, right around the corner from Jeffrey's house. So she doesn't get to go visit her son, nothing, because like I said, she fled the country and turned herself in because she was in the U.S. illegally, turned herself in at the border, knowing that she would be locked out of the U.S. for however long. And Jeffrey at that time was not allowed to go into Canada. That's how terrified this woman was. So she was willing to lock herself out of a country to get away from him. But, and now she can't come in the U S and her son is, you know, sitting in a state with nobody to go visit him besides this, you know, this woman. And the only time she gets to see Chasm's grave is when she posts, when Varia posts something. So I think it's gross. The next reel she posted, she even said in the reel, like, thank you all for putting money in my pocket, you know? So yeah, she was thanking her haters. Yeah, thanks. You guys hate me or not hate me. You watch the reel. The fact that you watch the reel, because they don't even have to comment. Mm -hmm. They watch the reel. She gets paid. And the more watches she gets, the more money she makes. And that's all she cares about. And I will say this. In no way, shape, or form, and again, I'm not a mom yet, but I will say this. In no shape, way, or form do I think that Varya, who's never met Chasm, it was before her time with Jeffrey, should then go on social media and capitalize and monetize on the loss of someone else's child. Can you imagine, because it's the the quote-unquote birthday of the child you lost, that some other random woman is not only capitalizing and monetizing on your loss, but also minimizing the fact that your ex was just convicted of domestic abuse. And we've talked about it throughout the show that just because he got caught now doesn't mean it was the first time. And we know 
he was he was sentenced as a multiple habitual offender and i just think it's in poor taste i think it's it's not sensitive of all the victims of the mom of the child i think it's just in poor taste that this is what her statement was and this is what she decided to do and um, you know like i can't fault people for wanting to make money but you guys you have to make it the right way. You have to stand by something. You have to believe in something. And you can't, and I know people do it all the time. I just have a hard time with it. You can't just capitalize on whatever you want to capitalize, especially when it's not your story to tell. This is not her story to tell. It's not for her to get a cake and and put music behind it and look up to the sky like you're celebrating a child that you never knew that passed away. It's just all not okay. In my opinion, it's just all not okay. And also to allude to the fact at the end that I guess it must have been raining in Tennessee because she said the sky is still crying and it's probably because a little boy is very upset. That's also, to me, I did that as well because, you know, he tortured <clears throat> Brittany. I mean, I, I know what he did to her. She may have gotten, even Sabrina, who had it horrible, says that Brittany may have gotten the worst. But to then say that, imply that, like, this child is no longer here would be okay with what was happening or that he would, you know, it just, it was all not good. And I really wish that the only people that have the power to stop this is us. That's right. Is her that's it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to go be methodical and, and make sure we covered all the topics. That's why, you know, our show is running so long, but it's important because this is a very important topic to me specifically. Um, and I just think education is power. Uh, I do want to address Lori's question about why was Jeffrey not allowed in Canada? I can speak to that as a Canadian. If you are a felon, doesn't matter who you are, you can be ex-rapper who is an A-list celebrity or, you know, the boy next door. If you have a felony and you are an American citizen or otherwise you are not a Canadian citizen, they will not let you in Canada. I have had plenty of celebrities and musical performers that have wanted to come into Canada but have a record, a criminal record, Canada says no. And even to the fact that if you have um, a DUI and you're not a Canadian citizen and you try to cross the border, you will not be allowed without a waiver of consent. So why was Jeffrey not allowed in Canada? Because as we've been talking throughout this whole show is that he is a multiple felon. Canada says no to felons, period. No criminal record. They don't want any of that business coming into Canada, period. That's why he couldn't come in. So I hope that answers your question. Tanya, same thing. Canada doesn't accept criminal records to my knowledge. And I'm confirming that that to be true. Um, I want to do one last thing before we wrap this up, Shelby. And I thank you so much for your time. I thank you so much for your vulnerability. I thank you so much for your honesty and directness. I think that um, every time we talk, I think that we are on the same page with we want to not only educate people, we want to talk about what's real and, you know, talk about 
and debunk the myths about domestic violence. I'm going to go ahead and pop up your page, NDV Now, you guys. Make sure you're following that because she does an important work. Um, <clears throat> as you guys know, um, when this all popped out, uh, I did a fundraiser uh, for domestic violence victims. And I think that if you have it in your heart and if you're led to do so, please reach out and do whatever you can, whether that's volunteering, whether that's bringing food to a shelter, whatever the case may be. Um, if this speaks to you, go ahead and, and do something because like Shelby said, it's with us that change comes. I wanna address one last thing before we wrap this up because I didn't address it uh, I want to talk about Mary also being in the courtroom because we know that Vario's in the courtroom. We know his mom is in the courtroom. One of his kids was in the courtroom. A neighbor was in the courtroom. We haven't talked about Mary. Um, what do you know about Mary's situation? We know that, um, and I'll read the headline. And again, uh, this is directly credited to Court TV. Um Court insider Mary Wallace, the defendant's ex-girlfriend, is being reprimanded by uh, one of the courtroom deputies for talking to Michelle during testimony. She's been removed. My understanding from behind the scenes is that she was blowing kisses to him, Shelby, and talking to him. Uh, any thoughts and any insight on that? Um. Yeah, I mean, she even went live from right outside the courtroom right after she was removed to relay to everybody why she was removed and she was laughing, uh, you know, that it was like a joke. Um, she was blowing him kisses. Uh, it, I mean, I don't Does there even need to be anything said about that? I mean, it's like people said themselves, you should be really proud of yourself. But she was proud that she got tossed out. And that is her demeanor, you know, like, uh, you're going to say something, say it to my effing face, which is what she said on her live too. You're going to call me the C word, um, say it's my face. It's her one and only warning. So she likes to bark a lot. Um, she's not nice. She's a very cold person, uh, period, end of story. She's just nasty. Um, and if you can't do anything for her, she doesn't want anything to do with you. So, so I'm confused. I'm confused, Shelby. So she was she was there as a supporter of Jeffrey as his friend because even with the court court TV, they refer to her as an ex girlfriend. And then we also know that Varia was there as an ex girlfriend slash fiance. So like I'm I'm confused. What where did things stand with those two? With all I mean, three of them. So Varia is living in this house. Yeah, uh, and taking care, care of his rental properties, properties yeah. taking care of the dogs, um, <clears throat> which those dogs, I'll tell you, and if anybody wants to call Tennessee Animal Control, please do so, because those dogs do not have adequate warm housing like he says they do. They don't. I've been there. Uh, anyway, Mary, um, I don't know that calling her the ex-girlfriend, I think they were just calling her that from what we saw on the show. I don't even, I don't think they ever actually even dated for any period of time in the last decade that they've known each other. And a lot of people don't know this, but Mary met him in an anger management class. She was the instructor for the anger management class. And then they went on from there. So that's where she first met the guy. Um, I think Mary is fame hungry too, mm -hmm. you know, fame hungry. Uh, I think at the trial, she was there wearing this 
awfully ugly light neon shirt because draws attention. And I wouldn't put a passer to get kicked out to get a headline like that and wind up in in touch and all those, you know, news sources. Um, Cause pretty much every time she's done something like flashy like this, she's wound up in the media. So um, she's out for herself too. And I think if you take a step back and look at all of this, like they're not some loving, caring family, like Ashley posted the other day, you've got Varya out of here. Who's, trying to make money off her fiance that she loves dead child and her fiance who's currently in prison. So she's making money off him. And then you got Mary who's taking this opportunity to get in front of the camera. So they're all scratching each other's backs to try to, you know, get ahead. There's no love there. There's no caring there. It's a whole sick, sick dynamic. And Mary even said it, like I think a couple months before the trial, she was done with Jeffrey. She'd never talked to him again. That that whole incident happened at the Chili's where she got the whole story is was on one of her lives, and then boom, she's in the courtroom at the trial. So I think they all thought that this was not going to be the outcome, and that you know they would carry on after this and be famous, <clears throat> and that's just not the case. So. Um, yeah, it does keep getting worse and worse. Yeah, anger management class. Yep, absolutely. That I believe he was sent to for, um, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe it was something involving assault. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what city is his home in? He's in Knoxville, Tennessee, correct? He's in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's specifically in Friendsville. Is he, well, So he's in like, he's in Blunt, Blunt County. Knoxville's in Knox County. So he's not technically in Knoxville. He is in Friendsville, or they refer it to Greenback. Um, he's in like the the woods of Knoxville. Well, there you go. This has been very insightful, you guys. I hope that um, we were able to dispel some of the myths to talk and walk you through the the actual sentencing trial. And um, I appreciate you guys all being here, Shelby specifically. I appreciate your time, your insight, your vulnerability, your knowledge and all of the things. Uh, I do think that we've covered everything. Is there anything that you want to say that you feel like we haven't covered? I don't think so. Um, just for anybody that's triggered by this situation, the sentencing, Varia's posting, anything, you're not alone. Um, there's a lot of us out there and, um, like Linda put up, we gather on the NDV Now page. So um, you're not alone. And it's not crazy that you feel triggered and it's not anything like that. And, and my domestic violent relationship was over 13 years ago and I triggered like it was yesterday. Still am. So um, be kind to yourselves um, and just know that you have support. And if anybody needs help, if they're in a situation, a violent domestic violent uh, or domestic situation, you can go to the hotline.org. They have a hotline you can call. They have a chat feature. So if you're not able to make a phone call, you can chat via your phone or the computer. I also have that link on my personal page. Um, and there is help out there and you, you, you will be believed. So I just want to say that. Thank you, Shelby, so much. I just want to say, you guys, that 
we all go through a lot in life. And I think that as adults, we oftentimes don't think that we have a support system and a network of people, um, especially if you are going through DV, you're isolated, you feel alone, you feel scared, you have fear, all of that stuff. But just know that there are people that are there to support you when you're ready. And there's no right time and there's no wrong time. But know that in this era of social media, in this era of we're changing the narrative, in the era where um, we're calling out abuse as abuse, that more often than not, like I said earlier, someone can, can relate to you. Someone understands you. Someone will support you. And someone will help you through their ordeal. And so I encourage you to reach out however you can reach out. Um, I know that there are, in, and I don't know where you're watching from, but I know that in cities there are restaurants and stores that you can walk into and say, I'm, I need help, and they can help you. Uh, we talked about the hotline.org. Um, I will put out specifically and directly, you can reach out to me at any time, um, and I will help in any way I know possible and direct you to the right resources. I'm sure that Shelby feels the same. And again, I'll pop up her page that is acts like a support group as well as um, resources available. But just know that you're not alone. And uh, domestic violence is not just about women, it's about people in general. And violence can look like verbal abuse, it can look like physical abuse, it can look like mental abuse, and it can look like financial abuse. And so if you feel stuck, if you feel that you relate to that and you want out, know that we're all here for you. We know that there are resources. Know that, that, especially here at the Melanated Way, we stand with victims and we want to help you through whatever it is that you're going through whenever you're ready to be free of it. That all being said, thank you guys so much for joining us. Shelby, again, I appreciate you. I thank you. Um, and this has been fantastic as and usual. I just want to say, and I know I said this privately to you, but I appreciate you very much for doing this and for being, for being mission oriented, which is professional information, getting this out, like, I know we've been here two hours and 45 minutes, but like, this is important stuff. And I just am very grateful that you, um, that you did this with me. So thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we will see you next time and you guys please be safe. And like Shelby said, love on yourself, love on others. And just, you know, remember that, Let's be a supportive community. Let's like love on each other. There's enough hate and anger and hurt and trauma in the world that you can be the difference. You know, you can be the change that you want to see. You can be the better person and you don't have to troll. You don't have to say mean things. And even if you don't agree, guess what? Scroll past it. You don't have to take the extra five minutes in your time to be terrible to someone who's already in a terrible situation. All right, you guys, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye.